have to give the people what the people want. Nice fairy tales about heroes and dark fairy tales about God. Our fathers believe that, but we don't, so let's keep that a secret. And welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Itchdecker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by another medieval historian. Yes, there are more of us. Marie Pardon. Hi, Marie. Hello. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Welcome to your, I understand, inaugural podcast appearance. Yes, this is my first time on the podcast, and I'm sure after my performance here, just everyone will be begging me to be on their podcast. Everybody, please immediately tweet at Marie to invite her to be on your podcast. Please don't. (laughs) So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about why you made me watch this movie? (laughs) Yeah, so first of all, I feel like I may owe you an apology for that second bit. (laughs) Yeah. So my name is Marie Pardon. I'm an assistant professor of history at Berea College in Berea, Kentucky, where I teach classes about the medieval world. And I was in grad school with Sarah. She was Mm -hmm. several years ahead of me. So I was always looking to see what she was doing. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) I work on 15th century uh, Flemish cities. So that's why I really Mm -hmm. wanted to watch a Dutch movie. I also wanted Mm -hmm. to practice my Dutch. I like watching Dutch television for that reason. So that's the real reason I picked this movie. And then I was a bit disappointed upon actually seeing the movie. But there were actually two other reasons I picked the movie. I had heard of this movie while in Dutch class, because Mm -hmm. apparently it was a thing in the news when it first came out in 2018, that there were Christian groups that were protesting it, because they thought it portrayed portrayed Christianity poorly. I usually am not on the side of Christians protesting movies, but I kind of get where they're coming from with this one. Yeah, to be honest, I feel like it was more just anti-religion in general than anti-Christianity, but yeah, the Christians come off pretty poorly. So yeah, so I'd heard of it in the news in the context of like, oh, we're all in Dutch language class. Let's talk about the news that's happening in the Netherlands. And also I've actually always kind of really liked the story of Redbad's almost baptism. Mm -hmm. And that's a story from the life of St. Wolfram that I've actually told students in class because I think it's an interesting Mm -hmm. example of how people think about the living and the dead. So I wanted to watch this film and then I made you watch it too. And now I fear (laughs) that I've made a terrible mistake. (laughs) It'll be fun to discuss. So this movie is, I don't think we actually said, is Red Bad, which is a 2018 Dutch film starring as Red Bad... Yeah, a lot of these, a lot of the people in this movie are Dutch people, and I could not pronounce their names to save my life. The one exception to this is Jonathan Banks as Pepin of Herstal. Jonathan Banks being Mike from Breaking Bad. And I will just say right now that he is on my list now for the awards that I have for least convincing medieval person. (laughs) You didn't think he seemed like he just was oozing medieval culture? Uh, Okay, I understand why people don't do fake accents and they often are ridiculous, but he's just sitting there like doing this like American accent. And I'm like, I, I just, I just can't, I just can't see you as a seventh century. A lot of different accents in this movie. Like this was not a movie with a consistent idea of what sort of accent anyone was trying to do. Right. So it also stars Renee Souten. Dyke? It's Renee Soutendyke. Soutendyke, okay. Yes. We also have as Svenna Lisa Smith. Yes. Did I get that one right? That sounds right. right. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah, Lisa Smith. I'm also uh, not the authority on how to pronounce these names. I speak Dutch with a really heavy Flemish accent, which does make a difference. And also probably just a really heavy American accent. So mm-hmm. I don't want some Dutch, actual Dutch speakers from like actual Friesland to hear me pronounce these names and get mad at me. I mean, you you will do better than I will, at least. Yeah, I mean, at least we're getting somewhere close, but... (laughs) Yeah, as Freya, we have... I'm not going to try this one. I have no guesses. Yeah, so this is Luce Habercourt. Great. As Charles Martel, we have Thibaut Vendebora. Yeah, Thibaut Vendebora. And as Willa Broad, we have Jack Wouterse. 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 Okay, great. In case anybody couldn't tell, I study the Western Mediterranean and Romance languages and do not know Dutch. The first real segment on this podcast is the enumeratio, where we do a bit of a recap of the film. And I'm going to start with just a brief orienting recap, and then we can get into some general discussion. The film Red Bad tells the fictionalized story of how Red Bad came to be ruler of the Frisians. It follows Redbad as he is exiled from his people as a result of being blamed for his father's death, but then returns after hearing news of his sister's marriage to Charles Martel. He returns home, along with his new wife and child, to lead the Frisians against the Franks. Lots of battles ensue. Also, this movie is five million years long. Yeah, also, I just wanted to say, Sarah, I was really impressed with your summary of that movie, because if you had asked me to summarize that movie... (laughs) I would not be able to do it in such a concise way because the plot is quite meandering. I think you made it sound like a better plot than it is. I think I skipped a lot. Yeah, it also takes two hours and 45 minutes. I did yes, hear, though, that they also made it as a miniseries a little bit. Like, they released it as mm-hmm. a film in theaters, and at the same time, they released it in, like, chopped-up chunks on TV. And uh-huh. I think it would have worked a lot better as a miniseries, because that would have at least made me yeah. not expect it to have a normal movie plot that was easy to follow. Right, I think that would have worked with the sort of meandering, like, episodic mm. nature in some way yes. of this film. I'm not sure it would have solved all of its problems, but it would have solved oh, no. some of them. Oh, no, oh, <laughs> no. Would not have solved all of the problems of this film, for sure. (laughs) We open with some fun, got some chanting over entrails and some concerns about how everybody's starving and it's time to have some human sacrifice. I mean, how would we know that they were pagans unless they were doing human sacrifice? Exactly. And we also get the detail, which I'll talk about more later, where somebody's like, you're all fine with human sacrifice, but you don't have daughters. So I guess we're led to believe that only women are, like, young women are sacrificed. that was also what we saw on the screen. Like, they were all very young, very pretty, very blonde, all dressed in white with crowns of thorns being sacrificed. Right, yeah. So that seems to be the deal in this society, is that we have this identical parade of blonde women. (laughs) Well, maybe that's why they had to sacrifice some. They were like, we can't, we can't keep these women straight. They all look the same. We need to I mean, hurt a bit. Nor can I. Fair. We get a fight between Redbad and his father because uh, the father thinks it's important to respect their customs and the Frisians are free and according to their free will, they should be able to do this whole ritual where they murder people. Redbad thinks that it is barbaric and bad and also his girlfriend's on the sacrifice list and he doesn't want his girlfriend to die. Yeah, of course, Redbad, our hero, is the one sort of enlightened person among all of them who has this opinion. Always. No one else. As always, as is is generally the case in medieval movies, right? That you have, we have to like follow this guy who's like weirdly an atheist. Yeah, and it's also this like a weird sort of insertion of a modern mindset, but only into Mm -hmm. one person. Or in this case, I think actually two people, because kind of with Charles Martel too. 
but anyway that's for that's right it's this weird like we have the hero and the villain and they're both like 21st century atheists yeah yeah and then everyone else is just like a normal person we've got this ritual and red bat is upset because they they draw lots and his girlfriend's the one who is gonna get killed and then surprise the franks arrive they do and they look like they have arrived from not just another place but perhaps another century oh yeah it's like the 14th century invasion over here (laughs) yeah so that was a surprise yeah uh we will continue talking about the material (laughs) culture of this movie which is baffling because in particular it's like the frisians look like they're in the fifth century and the franks look like they're in the 14th yeah yeah it also was like no one was correct was what was weird no yeah no absolutely not some people were too early and some people were too late yeah and then they kind of like meet in this horrifying middle where it's like (laughs) why are you going into the past (laughs) right on average we're in the eighth century I think on That's average, we might actually right? still be in like the 10th, but you know. Ah, uh, well, they tried. <laughs> yeah, you know. So the 14th century invasion arrives uh, and uh, his the, his dad's trying to retreat and Red Bad just wants to save his girlfriend. Okay, there's also a different blonde woman that we see being set on fire. So I was like, oh, okay, the girlfriend's dead already. But no, it's a different blonde woman. And I'm sorry, but there's just this parade of blonde women with the same hairstyle. And I have no idea which is which for most of the movie. Also, speaking of setting people on fire, this movie had a lot of fire, which is fine. I like yes. fire. But I think that if you're going to have this much fire in your movie, you really need to make sure that you're good at doing special effects at fire. And they yes. did not they did not make sure of that before deciding to put so much fire in this movie. Nope. No, they did not. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe they just too, like the Frisians are like sort of, you know, bar- out of date barbarians and kids don't understand how to do fire special <laughs> effects. There were some fire special effects that were good. So in some ways that is sort of mirroring the different time periods of the movie. Right. Sometimes the special effects are yeah. Sometimes the special effects are like five years out of date. Yeah. Also related to that, just on the costuming. Sorry, my cat just leapt over the computer (laughs) and onto my lap. On the costuming, there's also like Red Bat at some point, I swear, is wearing just like a chainmail hoodie. Yeah. (laughs) And and also, there's a scene where Cinda, Red Bad's sister, mm-hmm. is in sort of like the background. I think it's in his baptism scene. And she legitimately looks like something you could wear at a prom, like in the modern day. Yeah. Like, it seems yeah. like they just sort of gave up and were like, oh, well, I mean, like, women wear dresses, right? Like, how different can they be? Here's a dress. Like, well, it's yeah, long. Like, dresses actually might look kind of different in the Middle Ages. Yeah, they might, they might look different yeah. in the seventh eighth century yeah, whatever century of the middle ages we're in at this point we're supposed to be everybody in the late seventh into early eighth over the course of this movie oh, right. that's where we're supposed to be in theory charles martel kills red bad's dad uh, takes the city of Dorastad. we will talk later about how this is a city and you would not guess that from this movie but it is <laughs> and <laughs> So, and we find out then a little bit about the Franks uh, that we have at Pepin of Herstal and his uh, son, Charles Martel. Pepin, as I said, being played by Jonathan Banks, who I just cannot deal with. I just absolutely cannot. There's something I feel like I admire, though, about watching an actor who's sort of phoning it in. Like, I Mm -hmm. I believe that he was having a fun time on the set of this movie. I don't think he was trying super hard with the acting, but he was having a good time. Yeah, he was having a good time. I mean, he's... He's kind of just still playing Mike from Breaking Bad. It's <laughs> just that I mean, now, actually, he's a though, Frankish <laughs> Have you have you seen him in other 
movies, though. How do we know this isn't just him in every single movie he's in? No, I mean, maybe it is. I'm not sure I've actually seen him in anything else. So, I mean, maybe that is just him, which, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's fine. It is what it is, buddy. Yeah, you know, he was he was sort of entertaining on screen if you forgot that this was supposed to be a serious movie. Right. Meanwhile, back at the Frisians, everybody is very upset. So Redbad's father, Aldegisi, is dead. And basically they're blaming Redbad because he wouldn't retreat. He had to go save his dumb girlfriend. Which also, like, to be fair... That's kind of a good point. I think one yeah. of the failures of the movie for me is that from the beginning, I didn't really understand or relate to Red Bad. So there were a lot of scenes no. where I was like, guys, you kind of have a good point. Like Red Bad should have been listening during this battle and not being reckless and distracting his father. And now his father's dead. I mean, maybe I wouldn't say we should set him adrift out to sea, but... Right. I, yeah. I, I think that's maybe a little extreme, but I also like, I don't know, I'd be cool with them not like immediately being like Red Bad should be king. Yeah, especially after they just had this big confrontation where they were all saying, yes, we need to sacrifice these women. Not that I'm, you know, pro-human sacrifice, but right. he was just like actively going against the community. Everyone disagreed yeah. with him. And then he distracted everyone in battle and did a stupid, selfish decision. Mm-hmm. So I was not really on Red right. Bad's side. <laughs> yeah, I'm in general not especially on Red Bad's side. I mean, it, it's my sense is that this is a film that's relying very heavily on the expectations that the people watching this movie already know who Red Bad is and think he's very cool. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, he is kind of like a Frisian folk hero. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there is sort of that sense of, oh, we're just riding on the reputation of like, this is a sort of national hero that we'll all recognize the name of. Yeah. Maybe not know enough about that everyone will be annoyed that this is completely fictionalized. Maybe it does work in that particular context, but then the struggle is that if this is, again, something that's going to be available to an international audience, I don't think it holds up exactly for people who don't already have like strong feelings about Red Bat that they're bringing to yeah, the movie. Yeah, because you, you want your audience to be connecting to your main character and sort of like feeling what your main character is feeling and understanding yeah. what they're going through. And I was not always clear on Red Bat's motivations or how he felt about right. things. Even when he was sort of, you know, staring out to sea and brooding and having weird visions of himself as a child. I was not emotionally I, yeah, connected like, to okay, those scenes I'm, and I just didn't I'm not, care. I'm just not here for you, buddy. So yeah, so they, they sent Red Bad and Red Bad drift onto the sea in a raft <laughs> to sacrifice to the god of the sea to be like, hey, fuck this dude. Also, he should not have survived that. I know that's like the most nitpicky thing about this movie that had a lot of other inaccuracies, but I, I am surprised he survived that, especially when he was actively going underwater at some points. Especially also because, okay, all right, maybe you can just tell me, because at some point I just lost track of who all of these people are. Where <laughs> does he end up? So he ends up, it's what's supposed to be in Denmark. There's supposed yeah. to be Danes. That's far? Yeah, no, it, it is far. And I don't think that <laughs> I don't think that makes sense with that tiny this was not for people who have not seen this movie, it's not like he was set adrift on a ship or a large raft. No, he is lashed to a raft that is just larger than his body. Yeah, that's clearly going to sink in about five seconds. So the fact that he made it all the way to Denmark or some area of where there were Danes. I don't even totally understand how he got that far without dying of hunger or thirst. Like, how long would it also take? Also that. Yeah, also that. Like, right? Is there just, is, I mean, to be fair, I do not know all of the, like, currents in the North Sea. Like, unless there's a no, current I mean... that just, like, zips you immediately. But I do not <laughs> think there is. Right. Like, that, it's, it's far-ish, right? Like, it's far enough that, like, it, would, it should take, like, a few days, right? Yeah, it should definitely 
definitely take a few days. Also, sorry, I'm just looking up where Dorstadt is because unless I'm wrong, I don't think that Dorstadt... Was it not on a coast? I don't think it's on the coast. (laughs) Of course it isn't. Because that was also something I was sort of confused about. I was like, are they walking to the coast? Or like, what's going on here? Yeah, okay, Dorstadt is not on the coast. I mean, it's not not like that far from the coast. But it's not directly on it, right? But no, no, it's not on the coast. I mean, it's on a river. It's on the Rhine. So like you could follow that tributary out to the sea. But (laughs) yeah, so that's kind of maybe not the best. Not, Not great, not great. Not doing amazing here. So, and then we meet the Christians. This is actually one of my favorite scenes. (laughs) With the hipster priest. (laughs) Also, just watching someone say the line, on this rock, I build my church, and then take the rock and bash someone's head in. I was not expecting that. And it has kind of amazing, like, shock and awe value. So actually, if just, if we're just talking on, like, a scene-by-scene level, I thought that was a well-filmed scene. Because, like, you're introduced to this Christian preacher, and you assume, Mm -hmm. like, oh, they're going to be all peaceful. They're saying this famous line from the Bible. And then all of a sudden, they're bashing someone's head in. So that, I like that one scene of the movie. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm not sure that's how they have in mind the rock. Normally, I'm not sure they usually have it in mind as like a thing that you use to bash people's head in. But you know, it's it's surprising because you know he's an old guy too. The guy who yeah, also that I think that added to it. Yeah, this is a very old man, and like he's a preacher. He's kind of losing the crowd. They're like booing him, and then all of a sudden, right, someone's head in. It was it was a well constructed scene, right? And they just spend a little time arguing that the one that the preacher is like, well, we cannot spread the word of Christ with violence, and then he goes, "Eh, I come not to bring peace but the sword. That's what it says. We also have what is clearly a like 12th century Byzantine icon yeah. that they've got here. So like with the costuming and the architecture, we have just with the Christian art portrayed here, a just array of time of time periods and geographic origins. Yes, we do. It's fascinating. They're having some real fun. They're doing some forced baptisms. Yeah. They're just having a grand And we time. get to meet Charles Martel, who's our other sort of enlightened atheist randomly traveling into the Middle right. Ages. Our enlightened atheist meets cartoon villain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't often say like, oh, I feel bad for Charles Martel. And this is the one moment where I'm I mean, like, yeah, I, I feel whole... like you deserve better Charles Martel than your portrayal yeah. in this film. Yeah, that's true. It isn't often that you have that thought about Charles Martel. But no, no. It's, just not, it's not a great portrayal of him. So Red Bad arrives in Denmark, I guess, and makes friends with some different blonde people, including yeah. a nice blonde woman who looks just like his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Also, their names are quite similar. His original girlfriend in Frisia <laughs> is named Fena, and now we have Freya, who is a beautiful blonde Viking woman, who also inexplicably yes. really likes Red Bad. I, yeah. I was astonished this entire movie. Wherever Red Bad goes, everyone seems to like him, and he's not particularly charismatic, or maybe I was no. just missing his charisma, but everywhere he goes, everyone's super into him. Even Charles Martel seems to think he's super cool yeah. when they finally meet towards the end of the movie. I don't understand why everyone likes him so much. Also, the, the king or leader of the Danes that he meets. Yeah, he's, he's like, like, I think you're great. And like, I do, yeah. I want to appreciate the other Danes are like, who is this guy? Fuck him. <laughs> yeah, which is the correct reaction. <laughs> yes, find a random to like dude, a random like, stranger like, lashed to a raft. Especially because there seems to be this assumption when he first arrives, like this guy was obviously banished slash executed from his own community. Yeah, because why so else would like, you be lashed yeah. to a raft? 
so it's a very logical suspicion to maybe like not immediately accept this person but no he just Walston, beautiful woman leader and then leader of the community are also just like you're amazing stay they they just love him he stays there we have a three months later that he's been here for a while he uh, is still not exactly integrated into the community but he and freya are clearly you know close and there and he's you know doing things for them he's you know chopping some wood some great wood chopping shots (laughs) right and then the swedes invade that was someone i wasn't really following yeah i think they do say i think you're right i think it was the sweet but i didn't really write it down so it could have been the sweets so i wrote that down right right first of all the danes were the swedes and so then i'm like wait no but the swedes wants to invade i was really okay yeah then that makes sense then yeah <laughs> so the Swedes invade and uh, they so we all have our second major off. battle scene. I do think this movie yes. could be divided into just major battle scenes. Nothing yeah. else that really happens was very important. Right. And the battles are at least often very visually striking. That's true. And I think that was an area where effort was being put in. Because one thing yes. I found confusing about this movie in general is there was this kind of offset amount of effort in various things and there mm-hmm. was clearly effort in this area just yes other areas like having a plot that makes sense or character development or costuming or research yeah or, or those <laughs> red bat is initially told not to go fight that it's not his fight he's some weird stranger they don't want him but Which he ends a, up again fair reaction yeah yeah exactly i like i the people who are like red bad like i don't get you i'm not that into you those are the people that i understand in this movie as opposed to the people that are like oh red bad i'm so into cool. you i just want to be your best friend or girlfriend just immediately right now mm-hmm. and that's like half the character that's like most of the characters in this movie and yeah, I find all the major amazing. characters and it's very surprising they should have made him yes. a lot more charismatic if they were going to do that yeah, because that's the thing is, he's not charismatic. And I will say, I do not blame the actor whose name I will not try to pronounce. Yeah, oh no, yeah. <laughs> he was, um, I've already forgotten his name. What is it, like, Chris Naber? I Anyway. Yes. It's not his fault. It's that the way he's portrayed, he spends a lot of his time being stoically silent or he doesn't even make very browsing speeches, right? I mean, he like says relatively no, little and then he stabs things. Yeah. And so it's this odd, he's supposed to be very charismatic and everybody's supposed to be very drawn to him. I mean, I just wonder if maybe the screenwriter is not one of the people who's trying very hard. Because come to think of it, the only time that he does give a good rousing speech is in the baptism scene. And those lines right. are lifted like directly from a historical source. Yeah, it's right. His only good one. speech so, is yeah, his one yeah. real so speech. He, no one had to actually write those lines. Whereas right. all the other lines that he said, like maybe someone had to write those and they didn't just weren't trying or, yeah. Right, and then they're like, oh, let's just have this sort of grunt again. <laughs> it'll be fine he can just stare off into the ocean but yeah but it's just this odd like it replaces charisma with him being just very large and Aryan (laughs) yeah which maybe that does it for some people clearly everyone in this movie right apparently uh it uh does not for me especially but uh, to each to each their own goes down to the battle which is you know very dramatic they're uh catapulting some like balls of flaming pitch to the ships okay again actually cool moments with fire yeah yeah but you need to animate your fire better yeah there was some cool like use of battle technology yeah he ends up fighting he and freya are at some point fighting back to back and they win and they drive off the swedes so romantic so romantic that's how all relationships begin yeah 
<laughs> fighting off the Swedes. <laughs> I just want a man who will fight the Swedes for me. <laughs> also, can we talk about Red Bad's makeup? Because I think he looks great in his eyeliner, to be totally clear. But I'm just confused about when he thought this is the time to put on my eyeliner right before battle. Eyeliner. And why was that decision made? Because I personally would want to have very clear vision when I'm fighting. I mean, I frequently go for a run when I still have eyeliner on because I'm lazy and don't take off my makeup. <laughs> and it's quite annoying to be like exercising and you get like tears in your eyes from the eyeliner. Like the black so streams, right? Yeah. Yeah. So why if you had if you didn't start off with eyeliner on, which he doesn't when he's first told, like, no, no, right. no, you can't go to battle red bad. And then later when he shows up to the battle, he at some point put on eyeliner. And that just seems like a weird choice. Like maybe wait until the battle's over and you're about to go to the party to put on your eyeliner. Get on your <laughs> Those are my eyeliner. opinions about his eyeliner. <laughs> You just, you, you gotta have your battle eyeliner. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's like a confidence boost. That's probably yeah. good for battle. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, Freya well, also like... had lots of eyeliner on, so. Yeah. But she usually has eyeliner. eyeliner, though. Yeah. So, yes. like, yeah, she he put, put on, on the eyeliner for, the for battle. Yeah, specifically for the battle. That's what makes it weird. They win, and at that point, uh, the king of the Danes uh, says that, you know, you're one of us now. You can do whatever you want. You can even because marry like somebody. everyone else, he really loves Red Bad. <laughs> But except again for the other people, the other Danes, because like he's like, you can even marry somebody if someone will have you. And then somebody from the back is like, who would want that? You got to find a blind woman. But then, of course, like the most beautiful woman we've seen, uh-huh. who's, like also apparently amazing uh-huh. in battle, is just like stands up and like, I want to marry you. He's like, okay, cool. Trichy also comments. To which I'm like, yeah, you don't even know my name. Yeah, also, I mean, there seemed to be some implication that he'd sort of done a vow of silence thing, but it wasn't super yeah. clear. That was not, I mean, that was another part, like many of the things in this movie where it's not made explicitly clear. And I'm not right. sure what they were going for, but it seemed to be implied he had a vow of silence when he was first yeah. accepted into the community. Yeah, because they keep calling weird. him the silent one. Yeah, and then he, I guess he decides to start talking once he gets a marriage proposal. But I don't know, he needs to again, because he, he said something before that, I don't know, he strikes me more as like the taciturn one. And that doesn't really change that <laughs> like not, not quite silent, just taciturn. <laughs> yeah. They get together, we have some cutting back and forth between their marriage proposal scene with other people and them fucking in a tent, as they do. As one does. Also, the tent has, like, other people in it, but, you know. Yeah, you know. The other thing I'm going to note about this sex scene is that this sex scene is very light on the nudity. I mentioned this because I would like to contrast it with a scene that that happens later. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I think, think about I have a scene you're gonna contrast yep. that to. Yeah, yep. that was not that was not a good thing about this movie. Yeah. So yes, yeah. I'll, I'll just say now, interesting that the consensual sex scene is yeah. the one that has yeah. really little nudity. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That is a good point. Choice. We also do already in this scene get the first glimpse at the fact that she is wearing a cross. True. Yeah. yeah see, and that's something that in this movie could have been interesting. Like it could have been interesting to see sort of how that was dealt with. But it, yes. it never ends up to be anything interesting. So don't get excited. This is going to be some interesting oh, story no. about people's different feelings about religion. There's going to be no oh, nuance. No. <laughs> Mike from Breaking Bad wakes up a <laughs> <laughs> not puppet of her stall wakes up to be clear <laughs> Mike for breaking no, bad wakes up and finds yeah. that his church is on fire is on fire it's also just this weird set of lines where okay okay 
So I don't speak Dutch. Maybe they just did a bad job with the subtitles, but the sub, or, or no, he's not subtitled because he's speaking English. Yeah, so of course he doesn't speak Dutch. Say, those aren't the Dutch. So actually, <laughs> I not. Say, this was one thing I kind of liked about the movie was the use of language, how they actually had people yeah. speaking in different languages from different places. That yeah. was my, the one thing I liked about this movie. Right. With the one exception that it's like, oh, well, so these people are speaking Dutch and this guy is speaking American English. Got it. <laughs> That, yeah, that was as the Franks do. But yeah, wait. So what were the what were the lines that he was saying that you were about to complain so he just about goes, before realizing they were in English? Right. So he just goes, "Godless heathen, my church. He 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 will punish." And it's like, it's like this weird. It almost is portraying him as like he's like having a stroke because he can like barely string a sentence together. How I interpreted that was he's supposed to be really angry, but he's just not choosing to act. Yeah. So, so it just comes off as strangely because he's supposed to be so mad, but he's not like putting in the acting to seem mad. But, you know, they do punish. They they murder a bunch of people. As one does. And then have some discussion about this with our Frisian representatives who now are, uh, so the person who ended up becoming king in Redbad's place is his cousin, Jura. I think it's Jura. Jura? Yura. Yeah, but also his uncle, <laughs> his uncle Ivert. Yes, I'm glad you know the name of his uncle because I, at no point in the movie, did I know the name of his uncle. I'm I pretty sure they only say his name like once. So <laughs> because I wrote it down the one time they said it. <laughs> They're now in charge of things with Yura officially being king, but his father playing a significant role at least. They're arguing with uh, Pepin because Pepin's like, you know, I let you basically rule yourselves. Why aren't you doing the right thing? Why are you burning my stuff? And he's like, they're they're exploited and abused, and they don't even know what a tax is. Poor dumb yeah, I was about to say, can we talk about the whole like we've <laughs> never heard of taxes before? Because there's right. this really weird dichotomy right. being drawn between this like completely freedom loving people who are all like, yeah. oh, like I won't, I you know, lived a free life. I'm not going to die on my knees, and like I don't even know what taxes are. And that just doesn't make any sense. This is leading into my the beginning of my many feelings about what is the message of this movie? Hmm. I mean, don't pay your taxes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's feeling a bit conservative, maybe a uh, very yeah, maybe yeah, a bit conservative in its ideology. One of those movies where like it's more of a reflection of current politics and yeah. current concerns than it is of early medieval concerns. Right. And I don't know that much about Dutch conservatism. Well, there is a far right Dutch party. Okay. And there may have been some tweets about this movie. Great. Great. Yes. <laughs> Exciting. <sighs> Redbad is having a great time with his wife, and now she's, I guess, I guess time has passed because now she's pregnant. <laughs> yeah, and, and the baby's going to be named Popo, which is a really cute name, so. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a cute name. <laughs> I find it to be a very silly name. Okay, but that's an, that's an actual name from, like, Frisian no, leaders. No, it is. So, it is. Yeah. But I also that is the name of Redbad's successor. Yeah, and it was the right choice to portray him as a baby because when I hear the yes. name Popo, I cannot picture a grown adult. Like, I understand yeah. that he must have at some point been a grown adult. Right. But also, when I hear the name Popo, I think that's clearly a baby. So the movie made the right choice on that front. Yeah, like, no, you can't take Popo seriously as a man, like, leading people no. into battle. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> Which actually explains a lot. Yeah. With the historical <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I would not fall into battle. So at this point, uh, his happiness is destroyed when he learns that his sister C 
Cinda has the, like, so they keep calling her Cinda, which is short for Dias Vind or something oh, like that. I only just wrote her down, her name down is Cinda. Well, I, also, I'll, I'll I talk later. I looked Yura. up the real person. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Also, I think it might be Jura, not Yura. I don't know why I told okay. you it was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been messing up all the names now. <laughs> I mean. Oh, well. <laughs> Some Dutch person is going to listen sorry, to your podcast sorry, and be people. like, this woman clearly does not speak Dutch. I'm going to be very My apologies to the, to the to the Dutch people. Yeah, I would also like to apologize to someone who supposedly actually knows Dutch. I do think it's difficult <laughs> to switch back from like English to Dutch pronunciation. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, because they're they're just similar enough, right? Like there were words here and there that I could definitely catch. Yeah, and I think especially with, you know, the kinds of dialogue that were in this movie, like, you know, and fry a man. I'll try a will. So. Little, little similar to English, little similar to the Nazis. <laughs> call me, call oh, me. <laughs> this movie. Yeah, there's, I've got some thoughts. Upon hearing that Cinda is being taken off to be married against her will, they go off to rescue her. Red Bad, his wife, and the baby. They're bringing the baby to the war. <laughs> Yeah, and, and also, I mean, we're going to see the baby in another battle scene later. So, I mean, maybe that's why Popo just grew up. <laughs> I don't know. He saw a lot yeah, of battles as a kid. That could have helped. But yeah, no, inexplicably brought the baby when surely she has a lot of family members that would have loved to take care of yes. that baby. You know, back she has in a sister who just had a kid, I think. Yeah, there, there are a lot of good options here <laughs> that were not yeah. taken. Besides, we should take the baby on our rescue mission. Yeah, war baby. War baby. Or Popo. <laughs> Cinda arrives in 13th century Ram, a very large, very long journey, which took her several centuries. very confused about the time travel. Yeah, right? I'm here with a very long, tiring journey. She has another blonde girl with her who I absolutely thought was Fena. I swear to God, I was convinced this was Fena. 100% convinced that her intention was Fena. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that is a problem when you only have blonde women in your movie. Yes! And they yes. also kind of have similar facial features. And the exact same hairstyle. Yeah, that also does not help. Yeah, yeah. Cinda I can tell apart from everybody else. She has a bit distinctive looking and she has different hair. Mm-hmm. And she has like kind of wavy curly blonde hair and she doesn't have as much of like the braid thing. Mm-hmm. So Cinda I can tell apart. The other ones, I, I don't I don't know. I don't Random know. blonde I'm, woman. I'm really I mean, struggling. I, I would like to again say that maybe that's why they were trying to sacrifice some of them. They realized they had right. too many. It was getting confusing yeah. in the village. So, right. Fena. Damn it. And it would also Gotta help kill if they one were of them not off. named very similar names. But. Right. It To me, it also just very much adds to like my vague feeling of this movie that, okay, so I, I do have to say one thing in favor of this movie, which is that I, for this podcast, invented a test, which is the absolute lowest bar, like even lower than the Bechdel cast, which I call the Ip Decker test which is a test according to which there has to be at least one named woman who doesn't die. Mm. And I have watched multiple movies that do not pass. This passes. We'll have we'll a couple. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> good yeah. on this movie. I mean, it would have been nice if we had women who had, like, their own personalities outside of how well, they yeah. related specifically to Red Bad, but, you know. Yeah, but, you know, as I said, for the absolute lowest bar test, we do yeah. have a couple of named women who survive the movie. But there is, I think, still this vague sense I mean, of also, women as more or two, less disposable. Though? Well, we have three yeah. total and two make it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, so, yeah, because two make it. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have Edwina and we have Fena, but they die. 
Or yeah, so we have four total and two make it. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah. Two out of four, 50% yield. But yeah, but I think the bigger problem with the women was that all of them are only really exist as characters in terms of how they relate to Red Bad. And that contributes to them being vaguely disposable, right? That the women who yes, are the definitely. women that he doesn't have a relationship with, it definitely doesn't matter if they die. And the women he does have a relationship with, their deaths are all ultimately about him. Yeah, and like you have characters like Edwina who are supposedly in this position of power, but their role in the narrative is really just to like advise Red Bad, tell him about how eclipses work and then die dramatically so he can be upset. It's that, it's to advise Red Bad, but it's also even, and we'll get to more about her in a second, but it's also even to like shore up Red Bad's ego. Yeah, yeah, no, also that, yeah. Like this whole bit of the movie where it's just like a bunch of women telling Red Bad, oh my God, you're so cool, you should be king. Yeah, and it seems like they, <laughs> they only have conversations with him, or really oh, the only conversations we see women having in this movie at all are like to Red Bad about Red Bad. And it's like, they probably have- This movie definitely does not pass the Bechdel test. Oh, no. Well, I mean- Well, no, never mind. That doesn't count. I mean, you have you have Fena and Freya talking about Jesus, who is a I man. don't think that counts. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that counts. I don't know. Maybe if we're like some form of Trinitarian heretics who only believe in like the divinity of Jesus and not, and not his humanity, then they're not Maybe. talking about a man. But he's no, still, that's the- He's sort yeah, of masculine I, I don't think, I don't think it counts. Yeah, no, I, I also do not think that counts, but yeah. <laughs> Cinda, poor thing, is in 13th century realms and is having a creepy fucking conversation with Pepin, who is like, we're accepting into your family like a daughter. And then he's like, and you can sleep in my bed. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? What? What's happening? Yeah, the, the words we're accepting you into our house as a daughter did not seem to sort of apply to like the rest of that scene. No, that, like, no, they that did not. scene seemed just there to prove that like the Franks kind of suck, which I yeah, feel like has uh, already been proven. I'm not sure that was like necessary. Right. It's this, we have all of these scenes that are really about setting up the Franks as Disney villains. Yes. Yeah. So also they have to be like horrible to this woman in Red Bad's family. I mean, also right, just how do you know somebody's of bad if they're not mean to a woman? Yeah. And also that like her sort of role in the narrative is to have bad things happen to her, not mm-hmm. for anything related to her, but so it can affect Red yeah. Bad. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Sure. The only real purpose as her care of her character is to motivate Red Bad to go and be a king now. Yeah. Like many of the women in this story, they mm-hmm. only really exist mm-hmm. in terms of how they affect Red Bad. Right. Carmen agrees. Good, Good job, producer Carmen. That, that did sound like a rousing um, endorsement of what yeah. I'm saying. So thank you, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. She spits in his face. He is not happy. So he executes her blonde attendant. Who, but again, I mean, I one, less blonde woman, one less blonde woman to you remember who she is, Sarah. So that, that's just trying to help you out, getting rid of more blonde women. But again, this is like my real struggle is that I just kept thinking specifically that his ex-girlfriend was being murdered. Using, you're like, oh, ex-girlfriend back from the dead again. Oh, there's Fena. Hey, girl. And I'm like, oh, I guess she's not dead. And then I'm like, oh, I guess she's not dead. It just keeps happening. I mean, to be fair, I don't think this was a movie that was particularly easy to follow in general. And I, I, you know, the more I think about it, the more I have suspicions that there were deleted scenes that would have made it make more sense. Right. Yeah, that seems very possible. They have a lot of uncomfortable interactions. With Cinda, so that Cinda has with Pepin and with Charles, and it's not good. Meanwhile, there's also our good bishop, Willibrord, who is baptizing Cinda. And also, did you know that baptism oh, right. involves yes, a lot no, of I, forcible drowning? 
Yeah, so I, I learned from this movie that baptism is waterboarding. I hadn't realized Yeah, right? Who knew? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, right? Who knew? I mean, come to think of it, I've, I've never technically seen a baptism happen in person, so maybe that so is maybe what there's waterboarding. Like. Yeah, maybe it's waterboarding, and just no one ever told me. This was missing from my education about right. Christianity. Right. <laughs> Someone should have told me. Yeah, why didn't anybody let us know? <laughs> yeah, that, that baptism, specifically in early Christianity, was always waterboarding. I'm so embarrassed. So I'm going to share now, actually, the thing that I came across randomly while uh, thinking through some of these things, which is that, fun fact, in 2014, apparently Sarah Palin, like, pissed off a bunch of Christians by saying, oh, you can't defend America's enemies, can't make them uncomfortable, not even a smidgen. Well, if I were in charge, they would know that waterboarding is how we baptize terrorists. Oh, my gosh. Right? Yeah, so that's a whole hell of a quote. Yeah, there's a there's a lot there. Oh my gosh. Yep. <gasps> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, she and Willowboard would really get along. Right? Right. Have similar opinions <laughs> about about other religions and, and how baptism functions. Right? But yeah, so it's again, you know, I I almost never agree when Christians are complaining about things and complaining about how persecuted they are and how badly you're portraying Christians. I'm always almost like, eh, but like, you're not great though. And this is like the one, you know, both actually the Sarah Palin thing and this, like, so it's sort of like, you know, yeah, this is kind of offensive to portray your religious sacrament as uh, literally an act of yeah, torture. Yeah, and I definitely could get behind how this could be offensive, specifically in the context of it is a sacrament. Right, and especially yeah, I because... Actually, consider, I, hadn't, I hadn't actually considered that, considered that aspect of it before. They are, like, taking a specific religious ritual within a religious faith, right. and then, like, depicting it as torture. That's a little different than just, like, portraying Christians as evil. Exactly. Yeah. And so that does seem sort of offensive, especially also because uh, it seems to me like such an odd decision because of course it's, it's not like there weren't forced conversions. This just isn't how they worked. And so it's just such an odd choice to make this move to have this use of the sacrament itself as a means of torture when you could just have somebody holding a sword up to somebody's neck. I mean, I think it was a choice made for like visual reasons because it is like a right. very, they do have these very visually. It's very dramatic. Baptism. Yeah. But no, that is kind of not upsetting. great to be, yeah, to be using this religious ritual in that way. And as I said, I very rarely agree with Christians <laughs> when they're offended. <laughs> you know, actually, this movie made me look up like, is baptism ever waterboarding? Which sounds really dumb, but I was sort of second right? guessing at myself because they portray it so much in this movie. I was like, is this just a phenomenon I've never heard of? I also like looked I it up. I'm like, is there any evidence? Right. Like, I'm like, is there any yeah. evidence that this ever happened? Because it's just, yeah, because it is just portrayed so many times. And that's how I came across the Sarah up. Palin quote. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because I was just surprised that this is something that someone would make up. But yeah, yeah. I did not find a precedent for it. But... No, nor did I. Yeah. Except for Sarah Palin. <laughs> Except for Sarah Palin. <laughs> well, when did Sarah Palin say that? Maybe the maybe the 2014. I mean, you know, maybe Rule Rhino was like, hey. <laughs> right. So Red Bad is running around kind of half-assedly trying to save his sister while she's being forcibly baptized and tortured, which he doesn't yeah, he succeed does in do doing. a great job. I don't know why no. he thought, like, he and his wife alone would be able to, con- like, conduct this task. They did no. not do a very good job of this. 
right? Uh, so at some point, he, I guess, just goes back to Frisia. Meanwhile, however, the Franks are arguing. Charles wants to act immediately to go and put down this uh, revolt that's happening in Dorastad or in uh, or among the Frisians, whereas his father is like, maybe this was like all a pretty bad idea. And also... Maybe, you know, we think that, like, God told us to do this, but maybe it was just our pride and ambition. Because I guess he's an atheist, too. Yeah, which is weird. Or at least, like, a skeptic. Yeah, because, but then later, Charles Martel seems to imply that his father did believe in God. When he has that weird conversation with Red Dad, when he's like, oh, both of our fathers believed in God, but we've, like, moved on from that. It was was inconsistent. It was. Redbad gets back home, and everybody is, like, very, like, oh, my God, it's Redbad. It's oh, so actually, exciting. Another one of these scenes where Red Dad walks into, well, he doesn't walk into a room. He walks into a gate or a field. And all of a sudden, everyone is really excited because everyone loves Red Dad. Red Dad, you're going to fix everything. Everything. Yes. <laughs> it's, very, it's like the Lion King, right? Where they're like in the middle of this whole, of like everything's like gone to hell. And then Simba oh. comes back. And they're all like, you're going to be in charge oh. now. And he's oh, like, I'm 12. I've been like, oh my gosh, Red Bad. And then someone's like, oh, they think you just came back from Valhalla. And again, it's the sort of thing where everyone else is portrayed as being sort mm-hmm. of like silly religion superstitious. And then like Red Bad Not is Red like, Bad. oh, but I'm a enlightened atheist who's just so much better than everyone else when everyone else is quite religious. Right. Doesn't make any sense. It's just just Red Bad, our cynical, our cynical atheist from the 21st yeah, our cynical century. Atheist there to teach the religious so people how to, how to do else. it. Fed appears and I'm like, wait, she's not dead. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, Fed is back, back from Valhalla. Valhalla. <laughs> okay, what you think? You think back from Valhalla? Exactly. You think Red Bad's back from Valhalla? Fed has died it's twice, no, everybody. <laughs> and then we have the awkward, like, oh, I have to introduce my ex-girlfriend to my wife. So right. awkward. So awkward. Oh she my god, also... all of these beautiful blonde women are in love with me. This must be so hard. <laughs> yeah, because she's also like still very clearly into him, and he's also still very clearly into her. Like, and nothing yeah, actually happens, but dynamic. he's like, yeah, like nothing happens, yeah. but he like is sort of like stroking her face. Yeah, and she's she's also been married. Married. It's not like she was like yeah. sitting there pining for him. I mean, I right. think this is just more things in the movie that we're emphasizing that Red Bad is just like this big masculine hero dude who all the women are in love with him and all the men respect him. That's just like part of how they're trying to portray him. But it it didn't really make sense that everyone was just like, oh, red bad. To this like large blonde man with matted hair. And I'm like, it takes their own. To be honest, I feel like I went into this movie very ready to root for Red Bad, and even I was not being brought along by this narrative. I will have to admit that I was not coming into this movie ready to root for Red Bad. I was coming into this movie thinking, why the fuck is this movie nearly three hours long? (laughs) I just got a reaction to seeing that running time. I was definitely feeling that about half an hour into this movie. I was like, is this a plot line? What's happening? Where are we going now? How is there still so much movie left? At some point I paused it and went to get cake because I still have leftover birthday cake from uh, since the time of recording. It's like nearish my birthday, um, which will not be when this gets released. I, re- I record very far in advance. Well, I'm glad I have a lot of time before all the all your Dutch listeners get mad at me for mispronouncing exactly. today. <laughs> yeah, I like get up and get a piece of cake and then I go back and sit down. I'm like, 
I'm only halfway through. I've been watching this for ages. Also, I think that when you don't have a clear sort of rising action, climax, falling action, it makes everything feel longer because you can't feel where you are in the narrative. I have notes sitting in front of me and I still don't remember, like I don't have in my head where this is and like how far into the movie we are. Yeah, that's very fair. We also have the reunion between Redbad and his cousin Jura, who also thinks he is amazing, but also Redbad is solidly two feet taller than him. <laughs> yeah, and the cousin was another character who inexplicably super into Redbad. Yeah, he's just like, I, oh my god, like, I don't have to be king, you can be king, just please like me. Yeah, and I feel like if there was some level of character <laughs> development, if we knew something about their past, or there was some change over time, that it could have been interesting, his relationship with these various members of the family, but it wasn't. Instead, we just have sort of weird, blind adoration from the cousin, hatred from the uncle. Right, I mean, that's the problem in general, right, is that we we know very little about the backstory of any of these characters. There's really very little work done to establish any relationships in a meaningful way. I don't know why his wife likes him so much. Yeah, which makes it difficult to care about the characters and what they're going through. I mean, I don't care about Redbad either. I mean, everybody, it's like everybody else likes him. And it feels like that's telling me that I should like him. Yeah, and well, it is sort but of using that movie as a placeholder. Right? Yeah, it's using that as a placeholder for actually giving him a personality or making him seem attractive right. to his audience. Instead of making him attractive, they're just saying everyone else finds him attractive, so you probably should too. Right, it's like, well, everybody likes him. Why don't you like him? Yeah, like, what's wrong with you? Do you not find this man incredibly hot? He starts basically complaining about what happened with his sister. And also, it's great now, he's, like, very intensely defending Frisian customs and the righteousness of Frisian customs. I'm like, you mean, like, the human sacrifice ones? Yeah, that was something that didn't really track in the movie in general. I mean, I guess maybe we're supposed to be, like, oh, well, this is sort of a realization that you can sort of take some of your customs and leave others, but that's not really mentioned mm -hmm. either. There's no sort of mention of... Right we're going to get rid of the human sacrifices. It's him just sort of deciding, no. like, no, I need to, like, embrace my people and embrace my heritage and embrace my customs, despite being right, a and... weird, like enlightened modern thinking man for no reason and we never really talk about the human sacrifice again right i mean it's not like he explicitly no, it's not like totally we explicitly dropped. see him accepting it as a part of his people's culture which again at least would have been interesting i'm not sure it would have been good yeah. but it would have been interesting no, it would have been interesting i mean maybe we're supposed to assume that just because he's going to be king after this he would no longer sacrifice people but that's also not made clear it's, it's something right. like many things in this movie it's not fully explained <laughs> Right. It's all, it's this very odd switch. Like it doesn't make sense to me how he switched from challenging customs and not necessarily thinking that a people's customs are that crucial and that maybe if the customs are bad, it's okay to get rid of or change them. And he just switches from that to just this automatic, well, our customs are good and Christianity is bad because it threatens our customs. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't actually make sense with the person he was earlier in the movie. No, it doesn't. And also I think that this was something that sort of annoyed me because then this like very dramatic scene later in the movie of his baptism isn't mm -hmm. actually someone carefully considering the value of different religious faiths, which is what the story mm -hmm. is actually supposed to be about. It's said in, instead this very just black and white thing of like, oh, well, because they're invaders, because they're against us, I have to do this to support my people and like protect our homeland. Right. So then Charles Martel fucking murders his father. <laughs> Also, also, not only does he, okay, so there are a lot of problems with that. Problem 
number one is that the sort of idea that he's maybe not his father's heir is introduced very last minute. That yes. should have been introduced way earlier in the story. Instead, all of a yes. sudden it's like, oh, by the way, this person who seemed like the crown prince the whole time, not actually the he's crown not. prince. He's not. Surprise. Yeah, no. Surprise. <laughs> also, none of these people are actually kings or princes, though. They're all just like the mayors of the palace, which is also something the movie doesn't make clear. Though I guess right. to be fair, that doesn't sort really of... matter. Yeah, I mean, it's clear yeah. that they're sort of, that they're in charge, and they are basically in charge. They just don't have the title as of yet. So yeah, I, yeah. yeah, it's fine. So I guess. that's that's fine, but for you know accuracy's sake. But anyway, just because I was saying crown prince, and I was like, wait, that's actually not true. But anyway, right. that's never introduced until right before he kills him, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, there is this inheritance issue. Maybe you should kill. Right. Not that you should kill your father, but all of a sudden there's a reason to do that, which never was really right. present before. Right, and you have this like sense of conflict, I guess, a little bit earlier, and that they disagreed over what to do about the Frisians and about putting down the rebellion, but it kind of went from everything is basically fine to uh, we're having a cut, we're having a mild conflict to so I am going to poison you in what is actually yeah. not even subtle. Like, the, like <laughs> I'm like, how did you not see him pour something into your glass? Yeah, and also an attendant or, like, royal official or someone just walks in right after he poisons him. Yeah, I guess is too intimidated to do anything. Um, so just, like, don't worry about it. Yeah, unless, like, everyone in the sort of court really hated Pepin. That was sort of... Which I don't think there's any justification for... Yeah, no, it seems like everyone... Certainly on reality. ...sort of knew that Martel just murdered him and was sort of like, well, such is life. And then he goes and murders the kid. Well, but so before that, I want to remark on the line that... He says as he's leaving, where he says again, because he's an atheist, I may not believe in heaven, but I know there's a hell and you will rot in it, which A, okay, is kind of a cool line, except for the fact that it's an atheist, like hanging out in the eighth, I can't remember where we are exactly on dates, late seventh, early eighth. Also, also I I really don't think it makes sense for someone to be like oh i'm an atheist i don't believe in heaven but like you're going to hell it's like you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too really no okay i will say it doesn't actually make sense but i agree that it's a like as an atheist i actually do agree that i while i have no interest in the idea yeah i have no interest in the idea of heaven i don't find it interesting or compelling but i find the idea of hell i don't know if i believe in it but i find it very compelling like i want to believe that there is a hell for certain people say that line to someone who you've just poisoned yeah exactly yeah i mean there's absolutely certain people that i want to believe will rot in hell Okay, yeah, no, I think you you convinced me the way in which this could be a badass line. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, okay, so the line actually works for me, except for the context, that's fine. But also, I'm just, like, watching this, and because I still cannot think of Jonathan Banks as anyone but Mike from Breaking Bad. And, You're like, like Charles oh no, Martel Mike is just from saying Breaking this Bad, walk- you're dying. <laughs> right, and then Charles Martel's walking away saying this, I'm like, all right, Walter White. Well, I'm glad that this movie was such a Breaking Bad experience for you. I mean, I think you probably would have had a better time if you just watched Breaking Bad, as would really anyone who watched Breaking Bad instead of seeing this movie. And I don't even think Breaking Bad is that good. I really liked Breaking Bad when I was watching Breaking Bad. And then the more I think about Breaking Bad, the less it holds up in my mind. that's how I feel about Breaking Bad as well. I sincerely enjoyed the experience of watching it. Then when I looked up what like any people in the fandom thought, I was horrified. And also I didn't like, the ending so I think I didn't like it as like a full experience later yeah. but during watching Breaking Bad like yeah. I, I also like devoured it as a show so I right. really and it was it. an excellently acted show Jonathan Banks is very good yes. well I don't know does he just is he the same person in every, you know, <laughs> I mean, we don't know yet we only have a sample but, size of two 
So he is at the very least very well cast <laughs> because I because his personality, his personality makes sense as his character. Now I really want to see like an interview with him. Is this man just like that in every? Maybe in every maybe. Uh, what's his name? Pepper Crystal. Like I'm, I'm like I'm like what is his actual character's name? <laughs> well, I think because you always want to call it Mike from Breaking Bad. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and in my notes, I actually didn't even. But in my notes, I keep referring to him as JB for Jonathan Banks, so that's not oh. helping either. <laughs> because he's the only actor that I know naturally he's on his deathbed and is trying to tell the poor is the poor guy he's trying to tell the bishop that Charles poisoned him and the bishop's like are you talking about God I bet you're talking about God <laughs> then he dies we have his wife then pops up and says I'm the mother she actually does say I'm the mother of the crown prince and uh, therefore the she actually does oh. use the word crown prince so okay yeah so then that wasn't yeah, my there. mistake that was the film's mistake that was their mistake yeah <laughs> not a crown so she prince says, yet right so she says I am the mother of the crown prince and therefore the regent of the empire to which Charles basically just goes nope takes the ring yeah. off his father's finger and like grabs the kid <laughs> Yeah, inexplicably, it seems like it's being portrayed that Martell just has complete control over the court. Right. And that was a little bit confusing to me that everyone would just immediately like him and not be it sort of upset that explained. he very obviously just murdered their right. kid, sort of. And then, as you said, goes and murders his kid. Yeah, also, that was one of those scenes where I'm like, why is this scene so long? Obviously, he's grabbing this kid to throw him off a balcony. Like, we all know right. it's about to happen. So why are we going to have so this drawn long... out. Yeah, he, like, walks with the kid by hand. He, like, sings a little song. Like, yeah, no, they tell a the kid story. Off the yeah, like, be done with it. It's very lengthy, but it's also simultaneously, it's like, okay, we all, we all know you're going to murder the kid. All Everybody knows happen. you're murdering the yeah. kid. Also, the child had a great name. And it was Drogo. And I love yes. that because it's like Popo. It's another one of these names that I understand that someone with that name will eventually become an adult, but it feels like it only really works as a name when they're a child. Or if you are the Dothraki call. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also a Drogo. That's true. Yeah, I think I had forgotten his name. So because that actually was what was in my head, I now have the opposite <laughs> that I just couldn't handle. Yeah, this, you were like, like, why is this a tiny child? This makes no sense at all. <laughs> this like tiny helpless oh, child is about to be murdered. His name is like Call Drogo as like a unit, not just the Drogo right. part. So I didn't have that association. Mm. But no, that does change things. That makes it much more intimidating. Tiny right? little pseudo crown prince. You got to kill him before he grows up. Yeah, I mean, he was clearly going to be a very intimidating man. Exactly. <laughs> Poor Droko. So yeah, so Droko dies. So then he goes to see Cinda, who, as she has for the last hour of this movie, it looks like she wants to die. And so, okay, so she basically starts, like, stripping. It's a really upsetting scene because she strips and seems to be essentially, like, offering herself to him for sex more or less consensually. And then he goes basically, no, I would rather rape you. Yeah, that was a pretty uncomfortable scene to watch. I also thought yeah. it was a good example of the phenomenon of sort of like, I think that if you're going to have a scene of sexual violence in a movie, it's really important that you film it in such a way that it doesn't seem like it's meant to be sort of titillating. Yep. And this was definitely a scene that like, it was a sexy scene. Like you have a woman who's like stripping and like the cameras, you know, like mm -hmm. lingering on her body. Like it's a sexy scene, but it is a yes. scene of sexual violence. And that's not how you should film a scene of sexual violence. If you're going to have a scene of sexual violence in your movie. Right. Which A, I don't think we needed to at all. The scene really adds Yeah, because also we already and... understand that Charles Martel is super not nice to his new wife. Like that was already established. And we get that he's so 
sucks. You just saw him murder two people. Yeah, and also I think that like we we it's already been established he's pretty terrible, murders multiple members of the family, and he's particularly terrible to her. We know that yeah. they're married. We didn't need a scene of sexual violence to like establish anything right. more. Like it does not add anything to anyone's character. No. And as I said, this yeah. is the contrast that I wanted to make with that earlier scene is that I find it really disturbing that the filmmakers made the choice that there's actually much more of the woman's body voyeuristically shown in the rape scene than in the consensual sex scene. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, especially because the consensual sex scene is in a lot of ways like a really sweet scene. Yeah, no, know, that's actually a nice They've just got married scene. and they're very like sincerely into each other. Inexplicably, yeah. this beautiful woman is in love well, with yeah. Red Bad, but she is, you know, very in love with him. Right, and it's a nice scene and that would have been a scene that, you know, as far as like sex scenes and movies go, if it had shown a bit more, I don't think that would have been, you know, a problem yeah, or anything. it's also sort of like him being accepted into this new community. Yeah. Like there's a lot of nice things going on in that scene. There, there are not yeah. any nice things going on in this other scene. No, and I just find it odd that, as I said, that it's just like has to in this moment where she's being hurt and humiliated by her husband, that it almost seems like it's forcing the viewer to participate in that by the way it's exposed her body it's very uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable in a way that very much kind of makes me feel like they're I I, I mean it just it's very clear that they're kind of doing this in this really voyeuristic way and it's fundamentally not about her yeah it's it's also not about her like at all in the larger narrative and that it's about like her being hurt so red bad can feel hurt we know nothing uh, about her reaction to this event we know nothing about her sort of feelings about anything later I am not even sure from this point on I am not 100% sure we ever hear her speak again yeah I I don't think we do. I don't think think we do. We see her, we see her watching during Red Bad's failed baptism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see her, but I don't think she ever says another word. So yeah, I think this was a particular low moment in um, choices made by the filmmakers. Yes. Yes, it is. Back in Frisia, Fena sends everybody to go and fetch Red Bad to help them fight against the Franks. Red Bad and the uncle exchange some dramatic looks. And they have a battle. And this was one of the more epic battles, if I'm remembering it correctly. Is. Yeah, yeah, like he does a whole like tricky thing where he leads their cavalry away. Yeah, and there's this bit where uh, Charles Never. is like, where's my dude? And then Red Bad shows up with the guy's head is like, looking for this? Yeah, and I think this was funny. one of the few it's moments, <laughs> in contrast to all the terrible things about this movie, there's some like fun battle sequences. And I think that's an example yeah. of a fun battle sequence of like, oh, where's the leader of my cavalry? Oh, looking for this? I've cut off his head. And that's the most I ever liked Red Bad. <laughs> I was like, that's a good move. Holding a decapitated head. And yeah. Sarah thought, that's my man. I, 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 my I don't really understand why everyone's so into him, but I'm starting to at least get slightly more on board. <laughs> It's a line. It's that, and it's actually as well delivered. Because again, I don't think that the failure of Red Bad's charisma is the actor's fault. But the like the way it's he kind of like like ones. right the way he like trots up with the head and raises it and goes looking for this. It's like it's funny. It's kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of scenes where they're just sort of waiting during battle. Yeah. And that was a little confusing to me because I'm not sure that battles have quite that much like, oh, we can all see the enemy, but we have to wait for something now. Right. We have a big battle. We also at some point have just like this weird flashback of like Red Bat as a child wandering around the battlefield. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that was another of my big questions about this movie where I was wondering whether... This, this is one of those movies where it made me question my own intelligence slightly because I was like, am I just dumb? Am I missing something? Because so the context is we're having a battle and then it switches to him, I think, as a child, as a tiny blonde child. And all he's like in a field of dead bodies. 
Yes. So what does this mean? Because I think it could mean a lot of I things. I don't know. Also, like, I think in context, it's supposed to be him because of the other scenes like this, but it could also be a vision of his son. So there are a lot of options and it's not at all clear what's going on. Okay, is it supposed to be him as a child on the current battlefield or is it him as a child on a battlefield that he saw or experienced when he was a child? I have no idea. And also I am 100% sure that there is an idea in that like the person who made that thought like, oh, this is like this deep symbolism, but no one's understanding your symbolism. Whoever created this scene, who I'm sure will watch this podcast and really value my opinion. They're not succeeding in making their message clear. We increasingly have now the bit where everybody just tries to convince Redbad that he is the best and that he should be king. The seer is pushing him, Freya is pushing him, and we also now start to get the inclusion semi-meaningfully in the plot of the fact that she is a Christian, by which I mean like they have a couple of conversations about it, that she's sort of concerned that they'll be, that somebody will be upset if they find out. They spend a little time talking about Jesus, she goes and chats to a priest, and then tells the priest, like, that's her big drowning home, she's like... My husband's not a Christian. Also, my husband is red bad. <laughs> that's a kind of fun, dramatic moment. But yeah, so is I- Is Boniface? Yes. Yeah, okay. so that's Boniface. One thing that I thought was rather confusing about that is that that seems to be portrayed as sort of like, okay, so you have Freya and Boniface who are having this sort of nice conversation about how baptism maybe shouldn't be forced on people and also right. how things should be done peacefully. And then after that, you have Boniface talking to Willibrord and Willibrord being like, no, the only language that these people understand is violence. And right. you also have Freya talking to Redbad and Redbad essentially telling him her the same thing. Like mm-hmm. violence is the only way. So then you have these two things being put against each other, like, oh, negotiation or violence. But the conclusion of the movie ultimately seems to be that violence is the right answer. I mean, we have both the hero and one of the villains speaking in favor of that message. And so it's okay. So uh, I guess, I, yeah, I guess that's it. I guess, I guess we should just have a coup on the Capitol. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a message that, someone could take from this <laughs> yeah I, I like I, I'm sorry I, I, I'm getting a real white supremacist vibe off this movie yeah I mean and so I think that is something that's in this movie that I personally didn't see at first but definitely was in other people's reactions to it like I read sort of news <laughs> articles about this movie okay. that seemed to indicate that that was an idea in people's mind that this movie could be used as particularly in the Dutch context of like Dutch mm-hmm. right-wing political propaganda yeah so that's great and also, yeah. I think also a part of that is this sort of, oh, Redbad doesn't believe in his, in sort of like religion, but he does have this sort of love for his fatherland and a love for their native customs. He believes in tradition. He believes in essentially keeping things the way they are mm-hmm. and not accepting it change from external forces and from people who aren't your part, aren't part of your apparently, according to this movie, ethnic yeah. group. And I think also specifically in the Dutch context, there is this sort of rhetoric of, oh, we need to keep these innate values of freedom from being corrupted by religious extremists in the form of immigrants from the Islamic world. So I think that also could be, and I mean, to be fair, who knows if that was the intention of the person who made this movie, but it certainly could be taken that way in a sort of political climate of we have sort of like native customs of freedom as opposed to people who are sort of coming in and bringing their extremely mm-hmm. religious way of life and need to be kept from coming yeah. into our country. And the juxtaposition of that with this narrative of uh, 
actually the sword is the only way and violence is the only way to accomplish our goals. The only way to protect the land of our forefathers. Yep. It's very disturbing. Couple additional notes. First of all, so I watched this movie on like Amazon via IMDb TV or something like that. Oh, I did too. Did you have to watch commercials with it? I did. And there's this bit where Cinda is doing some like intense, angry praying kind of thing. And it goes straight from that into like this, like extremely brightly colored Oreos ad. Yeah, yeah. So I I I had this experience watching this as well. (laughs) Of like you, because this is a movie with a lot of very dramatic scenes. Um, Yes. And so there's this sort of like high drama and high emotion. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's a silly commercial. But actually that is one of the things that kind of bothered me about the movie was a sort of sense of high drama and high emotion mm-hmm. when you don't really I mean we've said this a million times before already but when you don't actually know a lot about the characters or care about them but it feels right, it's a lot of like everything it's is a lot so of drama dramatic. with not a lot of emotional investment yes exactly which makes yeah. it hard to care about the high drama but you know lots of dramatic right moments, right you know. the priest is trying to convince uh, Willibor to not suck so much which he is not up for, but he is up for giving him a, what I refer to as a Voldemort hug, because his weird hug with his cape, yeah, it totally looks like Voldemort hugging Yeah, and also, yeah, Boniface seemed to, like, not super into the hug as well. Yeah, yeah, so he has a a good Voldemort hug, and goes to chop down the sacred oak, and uh, says basically, like, why why isn't your god striking me down the thunderbolt if he cares so much about your tree? (laughs) And also does actually, you know, it's again, it's that this person is supposed to be the villain and he is like you know he's torturing people clearly he's bad but also he's the one who says you could not sacrifice people like jesus sacrificed himself and i'm like this movie like i'm sorry are you trying to make me feel bad for christianity and and also the what the message that the movie had about religion in general i found kind of confusing in that to me it seemed to be saying more just religious belief in general is bad since you have both sacrifices and these super violent christians but then also you have red bad sort of defending the customs of his people in the end so i think it's ambiguous what it's trying to say about religion but definitely it's not saying something good about religion overall i personally would use the term muddled as opposed to ambiguous because i'm not sure that there's a clear message Yeah, I'm not sure there's a clear thing that it's saying that it is getting across. Like, I don't think it's a complicated message that that's expressed in nuanced ways. I think they're just not doing a good job, to clarify. (laughs) Anyway, the Sears shows up and she fucking murders a dude, but then uh, she is killed before she can kill the bishop, which is sad. Yeah, but I mean, it has a great moment. Yeah, wait, so, but this means we missed the scene, though, of Edwina showing, oh, this must have been in the in the, all of the scenes of like women supporting red bad yeah one of the scenes of women supporting red bad is her eclipses, explaining how yeah. eclipses work yes yeah which will be relevant which will be important later because <laughs> it's actually i will say honestly is one of those things that, that it comes up later and then it's important and then i'm like oh right i guess that was the thing earlier and they explained it whatever at the time my brain was just like all right whatever they're talking about astrology or something i don't care <laughs> yeah well the thing is because the movie is not very tight in terms of plot, you don't know what to pay attention to. Because there are a lot of scenes that don't matter at all and never come up again. So how would you know that that scene would actually tie into something later? Yeah, it's it's Chekhov's eclipse, obviously. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) There's this big confrontation at the tree, Red Bad, Freya, and it turns out Fena end up basically agreeing to be captured in exchange for their 
they'll allegedly let other people go. I just again, love that Fena, Fena is like coming Fena along. Is inexplicably involved because Fena is inexplicably super into Red Bad. And what do you think Fena's husband thinks that his <laughs> that his wife is just like? Uh, so I'm gonna just be captured with my ex-boyfriend. I want to hang out with Red Bad more. <laughs> like, yeah, well, in, I mean, we, in, like, in captivity, her husband. So we saw him one time that he yeah, she introduced him. I think his name was Wolf. Yeah, good, good, strong name. Yeah, she introduced him, but we saw him that one time. I don't think we ever see him again, though. I can't promise we don't see him in any of the battle scenes because the men also all look alike. To be fair. <laughs> That is fair. A lot of, a lot of very long hair and beards and braids. Yeah. Lots of very sort of fashionable undercuts. Yep. They've really got a look. It's uh, yeah. a little bit they Viking, a little bit doing. Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that might be what they're going for with their, with their iconography. Might. It just might, you know? It yeah. just might. So when they have a baby in prison. Again, the baby is always where the baby shouldn't be. Also, there's that weird moment in the prison transport where Freya said, asks Fena, like, oh. It, it's also weird because it's right after they were talking about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the, the conversation just takes a left turn. And she's like, oh, are you still in love with Red Bad? Right? Which is Jesus. weird because I'm like, we don't need to say that. Like, that's already been established. Clearly, she's still in love with Red Bad. And also, this just seems weird in the context of you were just having this sort of, like, religious conversation. Right. It's like, so uh, we finished up the religion conversation. Now I guess we'll have a <laughs> conversation about how you want to yeah. fuck my husband. So Jesus loves all of us and he died for our sins. By the way, do you love my husband? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, just, I was confused at that moment, but you know. Seems like the kind of thing that would happen on like the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City where they're like trying to like talking about Mormonism and then all of a sudden it's like, and did you sleep with my husband? Yeah, yeah. No, it was just, it was a, it was a weird moment of gossip. And also like, well, we don't need that established. We all know she's in love with Red Bad. We don't need the additional like narrative of this. Like we we got it. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. Not there are many things in this movie that did need additional narrative to explain further. This was not and did, one. Of did them. not get them. Oh no. Charles shows up and is you know being being a real asshole about the baby and also about how he and Red Bad are atheists. <laughs> I mean, only, I think Martel should also be put in the category of people who are inexplicably kind of into Red Bad. Like, yes, he, he, it's definitely like portrayed as he thinks Red Bad is cool in the sort of sense of like Red Bad is the man yeah. who all the women love and all the men respect. Inexplicably, Martel is like you and me, buddy. Mortal enemies, but like we're on the same wavelength. We both don't believe in God. All the dumb people do, but we're above that. I wrote down this whole line. We have to give the people what they want. Nice fairy tales about heroes and dark tales about God. Our fathers believe that, but we don't. Let's keep that a secret. Let's keep that a secret between you and me. (laughs) Also, I think this is the scene where maybe there was a deleted scene where they like propose some sort of alliance. Because I think that would have right. made a lot more sense. In terms of yeah. what happens later, right? Yes. Yeah, and instead we don't, but we have... So the implication, actually, I think, is just that Red Bad agrees to get baptized because otherwise they're going to kill his wife and kid. Which, like, fair. That's a, uh, yeah, no, that's that's a pretty fine. strong incentive. Uh, yeah, no, fair enough. He goes to get baptized. We, we, we get got more waterboarding. Water, well, more waterboarding baptism. We get a little flashback or or at least like voiceover where he recalls his father talking about how tradition is great, even when it involves human sacrifice. Yes. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about our people and the interests of our nation. Our nation of the yes. our seventh century nation. 
yeah the language nation yeah yeah and this is where we get the one really good speech from red bad which of course is really good because it's the one lifted from medieval texts exactly also where I think this is yeah. a really lovely moment in a medieval text yeah. which is really different here because in the actual medieval text it is someone carefully considering the implications of conversion and what religion right. would mean for them but here yeah it's just about him like rebelling in a military way against sort of an oppressor right which is like a compelling story but it's very different than someone seriously considering the implications of conversion yeah and it, and it feels very out of place in some ways especially because you have the very clear sense that he's only being baptized out of coercion right that yeah, he is like, not actually seriously considering those questions in those in that moment no and so it's this all well it's, it makes the whole line uh the whole set of lines seem very performative it's mm -hmm. that he's not doing it because i mean in the context that struck me is he's not doing it because he's grappling with these questions he's doing it to make a point to the other frisians to rally them to rebel which i yes. don't think is the best use of that speech and no. is not the position that it has in the original text but so and to get to tell people what the oh, speech right. is is that yeah he starts asking about what's going to happen to his ancestors he starts basically like yelling out the names of like cool people which you know adds a lot to the like again performative nature of this scene that he's trying to get other people to yeah, think about this and like rallying the other frisians yeah, by yelling out the names of people who I assume are great dead Frisians. Yeah, great forefathers of the Frisian nation. And then says, I would rather be in hell with my friends than in heaven with my enemies. And somebody Which, throws him fair, a sword and they It's a running. great line. Yeah, like that, no, it's that a, great is line. a great line. It was just not a good use of this amazing bit of dialogue. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, especially because. I mean, it is just this issue again, right? It's that it's a really interesting line in a context of him maybe thinking seriously about baptism and what that means in a religious sense, but there's nothing in the film to say that he ever yeah, has thought about that because he's just an atheist. Yeah, because he, yeah, he's never actually believed in anything. Right, like so, he doesn't actually believe that there is a heaven or hell that no, his dad is or isn't in. No, yeah, he's just saying these things in order to rally his people, which he does do successfully. They have a battle again, his cousin dies. And then dramatically his cousin dies, except it's not yep. actually that dramatic because no one's formed a sort of emotional relationship with this character but it happens there's also this little torque thing that i think uh, red bad had that he brought with him uh, strapped onto him when he was lashed to the oh, thing yeah the little royal brooch right and it's this little kind of like light motif where it's like he thinks he's lost it and his wife actually had it the whole time and she gives it back to him and then when he comes back he and his cousin are kind of passing it back and forth and then again while the cousin is dying they pass it back and forth and finally say you know this like it belongs to us and then jura dies yeah which, which i think could have been a really great moment if we really care yeah. about jura and his relationship to Red Bad. The scene itself, actually, I think is uh, fairly touching. I think there's a little almost comedic element with the amount of times that they pass the, the little brooch back and forth. I think it doesn't 100% succeed as a scene because of that. I think they yeah, should have like, cut this, out this at least one of the, the passages where, like, back and forth. You're starting to check how many minutes are left in the movie. Because we've also oh got to that point like, like 45 minutes ago. <laughs> We've passed the most famous scene in Red Bad's life. So we like we know we know the movie can sort of end soon now. We have had right. the baptism scene, but we're like, when is it gonna end? <laughs> because then so everybody kneels before Red Bad, at which point I pause the movie, say, I have 20 minutes of this. <laughs> yeah, and 
also that's another of these like big high drama scenes because he's also still in his sort of baptismal uniform he's, right. like, all wet wearing a white shirt and there's kind of like a light it's, shining like, white, on except him. there's like some like, like some like tasteful bits of blood and he's got a yeah sword. it's like weirdly sort of like i am a holy it's sort of jesusy which yeah, is funny that's what i was thinking which is very weird since he's just like rejected christianity but and it's again the kind of messiness of this film in a lot of ways right is that he is literally in the process of rejecting christianity and yet they're still appropriating the symbolism of like a christ figure which of course like because you know i mean now all these frisians are watching this movie are christians i guess right all the people watching this movie are all of your dutch conservatives are technically i assume as much christian as they are anything i think probably they're much more like secular than the sort of like brand of conservatism we have in the u.s Um, and they're like they're probably like christianish right yeah yeah that's sort of like nominal christianity it's very much in the water of your culture but you Mm -hmm. don't probably have like a personal relationship with god right and so it's this is this this is symbolism that still i i imagine symbolism that still like carries a lot of weight and right even if they didn't even recognize it as christian they would be like this is symbolism makes me feel yeah. like this is an important person which yeah i mean because like because it is very familiar to almost everybody yeah fun fact my my mother who grew up in an orthodox jewish context like genuinely did not understand christ figures in literature and like did not get oh, any of those references until like college mm-hmm. including yeah. that like she was yeah, shocked that's... shocked that aslan is jesus that's such an interesting thing because I think there are a lot of things that you especially if you grow up sort of being like culturally Christian or if you grow up sort of in mm-hmm. culture you sort of get yeah. all these Christian tropes and imagery and you sometimes don't even really know they're necessarily Christian but you know that they're a thing right because yeah. I think a lot of Christian kids maybe weren't like this is the Jesus figure but they like still sort of understood that this was something important right. this was a figure but yeah, yeah. Like Christianity is so much sort of in the water right exactly and then even to be as a atheist Jew it very much you know pop you know it very much has something of a kind of evocativeness so of course I'm also a medievalist who spends a lot of time yeah that was what I was about to say you also have like Christianity but time very affected by Christianity but you know so I say I'm probably not a good example but you know whatever so then they see the eclipse Chekhov's eclipse oh right okay this was actually a great scene of this like yeah. dramatic final battle where like the eclipse happens and everyone's freaking out and Willowbord is like getting on the ground and like pressing his head against the dirt because he's all afraid of God smiting him. And Red Bat has very much the presence of mind to make his uh, speech about how uh, maybe it's an omen. Even if it is, it doesn't matter. What matters is that they're free and they're doing this whole war thing. It's a slightly yeah, better speech than I'm giving it credit like, for with that summary. free, die free kind of thing. Of like, oh, like we lived our lives free, so now we're gonna die that way. Yeah, right. yeah. But we won't let anyone tell us how to live our lives or what to believe. It's like this is the land of free people who bow to no one. And again, I'm just watching this and I'm like, so you are rah-rah human sacrifice after this is over. <laughs> yeah, that and that is a thread that's like very distinctly dropped. Yes, they don't want to have to be the person who's defending Britain. human sacrifice. Yeah, because I think his especially given his sort of like reputation as this like Frisian Mm -hmm. hero he has to be in this role of like I'm defending the customs and traditions of my people which then kind of makes me wonder why did we introduce the human sacrifice that's such a good question we could have left that out especially because I mean actually there's like we don't need the exile in the first place there's like not evidence that everyone sacrificed humans or they did it very often no there's sort of more like narratively really we don't need them sacrificing humans 
sorry. Go yeah, narrative. Oh no, I was just gonna say like, and narratively, the only thing that it does is it puts him in this position, right, where he gets in trouble and gets exiled, as we'll talk about in a bit. That I don't think is a thing that really happened. No. So and I mean, um, is that that must be drawing on sort of other narratives of kind of like the like prodigal son returning sort of yeah it's very kind of hero's journey uh you know it's, yeah. it's moses yeah because i feel like that must be what's causing that because i don't think there's anything in like actual history that would need that to happen certainly not yeah for red bad specific it, it's the lion king is actually what it is it's just the lion king <laughs> we just watched a worse version of the lion king <laughs> we did we have a worse oh, version that that's twice as long <laughs> I can't really say I didn't I realize this before. Okay, but we do need to talk about the most important thing about this battle. Which is the um, pigs. Yes, it is that they set pigs on fire and then they let the pigs run. And that is both brilliant and also I think visually impressive. I was a big fan yes. of that. They still haven't learned how to animate fire, which is a problem. No. They also have flaming bales of hay. Right. Were, like, yeah, these flaming bales of hay that they're sending in. So they're, again, cool things with fire should probably learn how to animate fire. Yes. That is a cool scene. Then, so we're in the battle. We have, like, a kind of keep away with the baby who's in the middle of the war. <laughs> oh, no, it's a war baby. Also, funnily enough, I wrote down in my notes that Fenna's husband dies. I don't remember that happening. Yes, thank you. <laughs> but I guess I wrote dies. Down. I wrote it down. So what I wrote down is someone maybe Fenna's husband question mark gets killed. <laughs> That's what I had in my notes. So clearly he did not make a very big impression <laughs> as a character. It's what, what I'm getting seen him once. Yeah, poor, poor wolf. Yeah. The, okay, the battles overall, I would say, are visually mostly in a lot of ways fairly well done, with the exception of the sword fight on horseback between Redbat and Charles, which is atrociously choreographed. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. Though I also think it's bad in general, the amount of like, standing in a line and watching the other people standing in a line right yeah like i'm true. sure that has happened at one point in a battle but there was a lot of it in this movie in general i mean it's one of the many ways in which this movie could have uh, i think with some thought cut like an hour is that you Ooh, could just have yeah. cut a lot of the lingering shots and i think of the actually would have drastically improved the movie because this yeah. movie being too long was really doing it no favors oh no oh no it was not yeah. We have the best line from Charles Martel in this scene. Oh, yes. <laughs> Where he turns to Redbat and says, together we could have ruled the world. <laughs> Which is so dramatic and also from confusing. nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do maintain that maybe there was a deleted scene that made this make more sense. Because we have right, to assume that like, oh. Some kind of alliance. Yeah, but th- I don't think that was established well enough. And it made what was otherwise a really cool line just make me say like, wait, what? <laughs> right, because it's very much like, Red, Red Bad, why do you want to be my friend? Why don't you want to be my friend? I, think I mean, like everyone else in this movie, Charles <laughs> Martel is inexplicably really into Red Bad. <laughs> as, as you do, it's just... He's he's so tall and bearded and blonde. Yeah, you just see him and you're like, that guy just wanna follow in the battle. Cindy's just sitting there kind of watching, and just the look on her face is just basically like, I want all of these people to die. Which good for her. I just wish that we'd actually like her. I mean, I think I was right there with her by the end of the movie. (laughs) The dress she's wearing. This is another one of Cindy's dresses that I think you could wear in a modern context because I think they think that a dress is a dress. 8th century dress, 21st century dress, probably the same. And I will say, okay, the, and I will say something in favor of the actress whose name I obviously don't remember who plays Cinda, which is that 
the writing of this character is atrocious in that the I mean the way in which they like rape her and then basically make her a non-character is mm-hmm. uh, awful that's bad but I will say in favor of the actress that she has a very expressive face that, that I think she makes good use of in all of the remaining scenes that she's in that I think it's a travesty that she's not given any lines but I think she with the nothing that she's given does a lot I think we can contrast that with Red Bad, who's also given nothing, but doesn't do a lot with his nothing. And again, it must be yeah. really hard to have to be given nothing as a character, but Red Bad has a lot right. of scenes of the camera just like lingering on his face. He's staring off into space. He's having and deep he's thoughts. And he's just very stoic. Yeah, he, and I mean, maybe that's what he was going for. And that's why his face always shows no emotion, but it's not- It's, it's not, not helpful. helping with us trying to believe in Red Bad as this charismatic figure that everybody's yeah, really or like Because again, I just don't feeling, get it. Or what he's going through or why everyone- is super into him and wants to be his best friend slash lover. And die for him and his dumb kid, Papa. Oh, right. Oh, poor Fenna. Yeah. I, I mean, so I spent this entire movie, movie like, expecting Fenna to die. And you got what you suspected. And I, but finally, it also I like, finally got it. <laughs> Fenna's whole role and really the role of like all women is just sort of like supporting Red Bad. So of course she would sacrifice right. herself for their family. Also like that Obviously. scene was not constructed in a way where it really made sense why she needed to like jump in front of that arrow. No, it was Like not. that also just didn't, it didn't seem like that was the only option there. And it was very like everyone right. stop and look and wait mm-hmm. so someone can get in front of the arrow so we can have a dramatic death scene. So and she dies to save, I guess, Freya and the child. Yeah. Popo. Which, man, man, that you have to have, like, it's just so frustrating, right, that she, like, has to die to save the man, because, okay, she has to die to save the man, but she can't actually die to save him, because then his masculinity would be undermined, the woman actually had to save him, so instead she she has has to to die to to save save his wife and infant child. Yeah, which also, like, wasn't there something earlier about how, like, she couldn't give him a child? That was a one line that came out of nowhere and that it was never returned yeah. to, yes. And also is actively confusing because does that imply that they had been like trying to have a kid before they were married? Or does it it's imply that she just happens to know that she can't have children? It's very unclear. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> but that also does add like a, another weird and kind of uncomfortable layer to it that she's sort of dying mm-hmm. to save his child when she couldn't give him a child and she's somehow been like thinking right. about that for years because well, it underlines she's been the thinking fact that about no, this guy for years in general is just a whole yeah, lot and it really like i think drives home this point that her entire purpose would have been to like give him a child but she yeah. can't do that so she'll die to save his actual child great just great just great yeah <sighs> carmen agrees the priest seems sad <laughs> they build some funeral pyres there are some dramatic looks and then the movie, it just ends very abruptly. Yeah, can we talk about the uh, the text that's on the screen after the movie ends? I'll be honest, you'll have to tell me what it is because I might okay, have shut so, it Okay, so I'll tell you, I wrote it down because I was annoyed. Okay, so it doesn't start off bad. The first one is Red Bad's people stayed free and independent until his death. Okay. Then we talk. Then it talks about how Boniface was murdered in 754 in Frisian territory. But then like, they're like, strongly imply that oh we don't really know why it happened but clearly it was part of a frisian rebellion don't worry about it and then it says 
Red Bad was banned from history books by Christian historians, while no. Willibrord and Boniface are still honored as saints. So, which I feel like is especially bullshit because, like, it's mostly through Christian sources that we know yeah. about Red Bad. Yes. I think maybe, like, entirely through Christian sources. So, like, that's literally yeah, the That's where the story opposite. about his baptism is, right? It's in yeah, the, it's uh, in the, the Vita life. of Willibrord. Yeah. Yeah, it's from a saint's life. So, it's actively ridiculous. I mean, that would be actively ridiculous to say about really any medieval figure that any of us have heard of. We've is- heard of him. He wasn't banned from the history books. Yeah, like- we heard about him, particularly, <laughs> it was probably Christian historians. So I think there's there are so many things that you could complain about, right. you know, Christianity in the early medieval period. Of course. Lots of complaints one could make, but Red Bad being banned from the history books by Christian historians is actively ridiculous there is honestly nothing that i resent more than that this movie has made me defend christians and christianity <laughs> yeah yeah no it was impressive that the, the movie was capable of that right i i really yeah. resent it yeah because to be honest like even i was sort of going into this movie with like oh like it's kind of nice that the idea that they were like portraying the frankish conquests as being this mm-hmm. sort of like violent thing and that there were people rebelling and people who you know right. didn't want to convert to christianity i was like oh that's cool that a movie did that because that really doesn't happen in movies about the middle ages and i think we do kind of brush over the violence yeah. in spreading christianity so that was right. that's a lovely thing to have in a movie but this movie did not do this in a you know historically responsible way. way no it did not and in some way, I think it does kind of like erode your point when you do it in a bad, mm-hmm. in like a bad way. Because I think that people right, that the sensationalism undermines the reality of it, right? That if they'd yeah, actually yeah, had a exactly. historically accurate portrayal, I think it could have been very powerful. But that the sensationalism and the kind of bizarre way in which it's done makes you Baptism dismiss by waterboarding. it as, right. It just makes you dismiss it as ridiculous because the way it's portrayed, it is. That really does, yeah, undermine the the ways in which you could have used this to kind of actually think through, like, think yeah. critically about the spread of Christianity. Yeah, because yeah, I think, like, if this is a movie that someone could watch and then be like, yeah. oh, this is kind of ridiculous, and then come to the assumption, like, well, the idea that Christianity was spread through violence is also ridiculous, because right. you've only seen it in a ridiculous context. This can now lead into our next segment, the Vegra et Falso, where we talk about what they got right and what they got wrong in this film. So first there's the visual culture aspects where the Frisians look like they're in the fifth century. Yeah, so actually this might've not been the Frisians, this might've been the Danes, but there's some right. scenes that they're shot in a prehistoric village, like a place where people <laughs> enact prehistoric life. And like maybe right. they tried to move it forward in time with some of the things they added, but I think just that fact alone is a problem yep. when you're contrasting it with yep. other scenes that are shot in like late medieval castles. Right, yeah. The castle is, I, I don't know the exact date, but it's 12th century, the absolute earliest. Yes. Yeah. The castle is late. The armor that the Franks are wearing looks 14th century, I would say. Yeah. Um, and also, like, all of their, like, sort of giant banners with the cross and, like, their uniform with the cross. Right. Very yeah, kind of, like, I mean, they're dressed like Right. Yeah. They're sort of dressed like yeah. crusaders. We have a crucifix that I cannot emphasize enough how aggressively not 8th century it is. <laughs> it is very 13th, 14th century. We have this Byzantine icon that, again, 12th century absolute earliest. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's just it's just a mess yeah and also i think it's one of those things where they clearly really wanted to demonstrate that the frisians and the danes are very separate than the franks and use visual cues right. to do that number one that probably wouldn't have been true that they wouldn't have looked super, oh, no. super visually different and number two right. they're making them visually different by just wildly time period sliding and also one of the things i wanted to add to this is the portrayal of Dorstad, which looks like this basically I'm, I'm trying to think of how to describe it in terms of how it's portrayed in the film like it's a sort of like river settlement kind of yeah. like there's clearly a decent amount of people there but there's not like a, a lot wall. of yeah like, there's not a lot wall. of infrastructure there doesn't seem to yeah. be a lot going on the real Doristad in this period is a real commercial center that has a textile industry not like a glorified hut yeah, and that's definitely not what we were being shown in this movie. Right. Yeah, so that's also very frustrating, again, is that they're in this effort to heighten the contrast. They basically send the Frisians back to the best-case yeah, scenario, actually, like, Roman now period. That, now that I'm thinking about this more, I think this makes it, in some ways, more uncomfortable, because then it's sort of this weird, like, colonizer thing, that you have this yeah. sort of idea of, like, oh, you have this, like, these primitive people, but they're free. And then you have the sort of right. the people who are coming in with this like more advanced civilization heavily in quotes coming in but to like put them under their control so that's sort of a weird dynamic yeah and then of course also add to that the fact that then it's like then we have that narrative being used in the service of a bunch of white people protesting against a bunch of brown immigrants yeah yeah <laughs> so that's that's really just all kinds from of countries colonized by Europe at various points. I mean, they just That's need to protect thing. themselves from religious extremism, Sarah. They just need to protect their <laughs> native local customs of freedom, which are really innate to the area. I hope I'm not like offending some right. Dutch people. But I do think that is part of Dutch right-wing politics. Yeah, right. And an example of this, when I was in Flanders, I got a flyer in the mail from like a Flemish far-right party mm -hmm. and one thing that sort of surprised me on like this flyer they had a couple that were two women and I was like oh that's like mm. not something that tracks with like American, like, American far right yeah. politics and so I asked a Flemish friend about it and she told mm -hmm. me like oh no 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 a lot of Flemish far right parties have this sort of idea that being sort of very accepting and tolerant is actually a part of our sort of like native traditions and huh. it's only because of like outside influence and that's actually a reason why we have to be so worried about Islamic immigration is because Ooh. they're going to bring in these sort of like ideas of intolerance so we got to be you know lot. Yeah. Intolerant. Yeah, so we got to be intolerant towards them. But yeah, but I do think that is something that was sort of feeding into this movie, this idea of like, oh, mm -hmm. we have these natural traditions of freedom. But hopefully some Dutch person doesn't watch this and be like, you know nothing about Dutch politics. Because I probably don't. But yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so that was interesting. I also want to talk about the Frisian religious customs a bit. In terms of the human sacrifice angle, so it is at least the case based on what we know that in general, these uh, Germanic polytheistic cultures, we've I think we've at this point pretty much come down on the side that they had at least occasional human sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, I think also though, it's the kind of thing where the amount that they did it is a little bit unclear. Right. And also, I yeah. will say, I am of the belief that it is very hard to distinguish between human sacrifice and an execution, like a judicial execution. Right. And that yeah. those things not only can look very similar, but they're actually very conceptually similar. Like the idea that yeah. in order to reassert order in your society, you need to kill mm -hmm. someone. And you as a group or high-ranking right. individuals in your group have decided this is the person you need to kill. So I think sometimes when we talk about human sacrifice, yeah. we should acknowledge that like there is a vague line between a sacrifice and an execution yeah. sometimes. And, you know, in a 
general. So like a lot of what we, a lot of the evidence that I would say is actually trustworthy because there's a lot of good reason to be very critical of the Christian accounts of what this looked mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. And the archeological evidence is very much, you know, subject to interpretation in a lot of ways. However, based on what we do know to the extent that there was human sacrifice, it's not exclusively of women. In fact, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, the most dramatic, and this is again a Christian source, but the most dramatic account actually that we have of, uh, I think it's actually on like Norse pagan human sacrifice, but like it's actually exclusively men. It's like men and and male animals. That would make sense just from a like sort of more practical perspective of who would be important for sort of reproduction Reproduction? for your society. Yeah, and I think specifically example in this movie where it's specifically young women of, Mm -hmm. you know, marryable age since Red Bad really wanted to marry one of them. That seems, and like, you know, again, we don't know a whole lot about what was kind of human sacrifice mm-hmm. happening in these cultures, but it seems like that would not be who they would choose. They would not be like, oh, right. all of our young women who are about to get married, kill half of them. That right. seems or like the, not the choice. Right. Yeah. And because the, the narrative that actually I uh, am familiar with in terms of, and this is again a, uh, a Viking situation, but of like a woman human sacrifice, it's uh, in Ahmed ibn Fadlan's account of the Volga oh, yeah. Vikings, and that's an enslaved woman. Mm-hmm. which is obviously awful but like very much kind of changes the yeah but it is different from the perspective sort of, like, of that all society's of beliefs right so it's it's a bizarre there choice an in, yeah. um, there's an account in the life of saint wolfram that describes someone getting tied to a raft and getting set adrift so oh, okay so you do have that. that i yeah, mean i honestly nice. don't know if they knew about that and whether they just accidentally got given the lack of historical accuracy about everything else right Maybe they just got lucky, but there is an account of how maybe. people yeah, maybe they read that. set people adrift. Yeah, I, okay. I bet they read yeah, that. That's cool. Yeah, that's yeah, so cool. maybe and they the could have kept that. Right, and the seeresses are actually a legit thing mm-hmm. that they have these seeress figures that this is like yeah. a real thing that shows up, which is cool. Like I like Edwina. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, maybe they did do like some level of research. They just didn't yeah. <laughs> incorporate all of them. I think they kind of did, but then they decided they didn't care. Yeah, I mean, also, while we're still talking about religion, I know we don't know a lot about, like, specifically Frisian religion, but it seems like they were just incorporating religious figures from other places, and that we have, like, Woden, and we have Freya, and we also have specifically with the tree, they describe it as, like, being Donar, and that is a specific narrative, but it takes place in Saxony. And it's from the life of St. Boniface, not the life of St. Willibord, who it's being portrayed as being about Willibord. And also it takes place in Saxony. So it was presumably not a god that was being worshipped in Frisia either. Right. So they're kind of pulling things from a lot of places. There were a couple of articles that I came across that were arguing for there being uh, some similarities and connections between a bunch of these kind of Germanic polytheistic cultures that there were to some extent kind of sharings of deities and practices. This film, I think, very much uh, took that in the direction of anything from anywhere can apply here. Mm -hmm. But that is at least a decision that in a film where you have to fill things in, I I find a little bit more understandable yeah yeah and to be fair i think if you don't know the sort of names of local old frugian gods then maybe it makes sense right. to sort of fill in oh like these are names of other gods from areas that were nearish by yeah and they're obviously names that then are very familiar to people uh, because there's a decent amount of familiarity with norse mythology and so as i said i think based on the little we do know it as, as i said especially for a film where you have to fill in some details it doesn't not make sense as a choice yeah unlike there's you know, the, the waterboarding baptism, which does not make sense as a choice, as we have discussed. Yeah, which <laughs> was very 
very visually impressive, but you know, yeah, not great for other reasons, perhaps. Right. I also did a little reading on flaming pigs. Oh, wait, tell me about the flaming pigs. <laughs> okay, so interestingly, so I'm watching this and I'm like, this is just ridiculous, right? But I don't it, think it's ridiculous. I think that's like a great idea, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'll admit, I definitely watched this and I was like, there's no way this is ever a real thing. It does seem, as far as I can tell from some fairly cursory research, to be something that is actually attested in Roman sources. I mean, I think it sounds like a great idea. So <laughs> I can see why someone would want to do that because also it just is introducing so much confusion into the battlefield. Yeah. I think actually flaming pigs are something that like war elephants, they're most effective the first time they're used so, and they become less effective the more you use them. So interesting that you mentioned the war elephants because the war pigs, at least allegedly, were basically used to combat the war elephants. Oh my gosh, I love that. I think my favorite characters in all of this were just the animals. <laughs> Even when they were on fire, they were. They yeah, were that great. seems fair. Yeah, that, that definitely seems fair. The flaming but, yeah, pigs that were they much were, more charismatic than Red Badge. Right? But yeah, but that they were actually supposed to be a, like specifically a, like something I mean, you bring in to fight off really the war elephants. Elephant. Like an elephant yeah. would definitely freak out if a flaming pig were oh, running yeah. around its feet. Absolutely. You know, worth knowing that uh, I don't think there's any justification as far as I could find for them appearing in this specific context. There isn't anything I could find about them being used at any point in the Frankish-Frisian Wars, but they are something that can be found in pre-modern history. And it was a fun thing to see in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and it's clearly, there's a lot of moments where it's just clearly like somebody did some reading and then incorporated some things that, from it that they found interesting. And actually, Pepin of Herstal and Charles Martel are a really interesting example of this. So my impression of the historical figures in this were that they just took a lot of names that are attested to, yes. and we do know all of these people. Like, I think actually a huge number of the named characters, like on the Frisian side, we have Aldechisel, we have Redbad, we have Popo. All right. real people. And we have Willowborn, we have Boniface, yeah. Pepin, Martel. So we took these names. Did we, we create simplify a lot? Right. And we simplify a lot of the relationships. And I'll talk about the Frisian ones in a minute, but in terms of Charles Martel and Pepin of Fristal, we have this case. So and Charles was Pepin's son. He was a son by a mistress, although the mistress was also a member of the nobility. Sarah McDougall's big argument in her book, Royal Bastards, is that what really matters is the status of the mother. And so somebody like Charles Martel, who was technically illegitimate, but whose mother is also a member of the nobility, is going to be in a very different position from somebody who actually was, you know, the son of a kitchen maid. Then there's a very kind of complicated dynamic that then gets cut. Okay, so first of all, it's interesting. So they named the child Drogo. Drogo is actually the name of Charles's older half-brother who actually predeceased Pepin. Well, yeah, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> The person who he's clearly supposed to be is someone named Theudewald, who is... Okay, but uh, I can see why they didn't name one of the characters Theudewald. I mean, he's only there for like three seconds and they <laughs> shove him off a wall. They could have called him Theudewald. And also then you could make jokes about Theudewald going off the wall. But. <laughs> so Pepin actually does just... Uh, he basically his wife talks him into replacing Charles as his heir, and instead of naming Charles as his heir, which is what people expect, instead naming the Udewald, who is his 
grandson by one of the dead sons uh, with the wife, whose name is, I believe, Plectrude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you really gotta love <laughs> a great time with Frankish names over here. Yeah. One of the things that is actually really interesting, so Charles does obviously end up taking the throne instead of Feudewald, and this is something that there is a bit of a war about it, but, you know, the nobles are actually largely on Charles's side because nobody wants a little kid as king, and he, he and he is pretty young. But one of the and interesting also things... probably all students are really glad that now they're having to learn the name Charles Martel and not the name Feudewald. Feudewald, especially because, like, you know, I mean, this is like the grandfather of Charles, right? Is that right? Grandfather of Charlemagne? Yes. Yeah, grandfather can you imagine if we had to do Feudewaldamine? Oh, God. <laughs> like, can you imagine? Yeah, if his name was Feudewald and then that then was also his grandson's name and his grandson then was basically Charlemagne and we had to like talk about like yes, no, that Feudewald would be terrible. the Great and every I mean, thank every goodness time teaching. That Charles Martel like <laughs> got his stuff together. Exactly. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that he did not actually murder Feudewald. Which, honestly, I mean, you know, like, it's, you know, certainly, I know it's presented in the film, it's right, it's like, it's not surprising that he murders him, it's the kind of obvious thing to do when yeah. you're, you know, usurping the throne from him, you don't worry about him when he gets older, but I think it's really interesting, Charles actually doesn't murder him, he lets him live, and he actually outlives Charles. Oh, I mean, so do you think the story just, like, needed an extra murder in there? Like, it's that they very much do at some point kind of move into... Charles Martel as Disney villain. And so it's in quick succession, you have him murder his father, murder his nephew or whatever he is, and then rape his wife. Yeah, I mean, th- those kind of are, I think, the, the big three of how to show you're a terrible person. Right, you murder two people and one of them's your dad, one of them's a little kid, and, one, and yeah. then you rape your wife. Right? Is it, yeah, it's exactly, it's Yeah, like I mean, it's like, what trifecta. else can you do to members of your family to, to demonstrate right? that you're just, you're just a bad dude? Yeah, and so it's just very much like, okay, so we have this uh, ahistorical uh, event that's really just in service of saying, look, he's a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I'm not sure I would give the people who made this movie a lot of credit in terms of having looked up any of these things and decided not to do them i think what the people who made this movie did is just look up a bunch of names that were names of people involved in things at the time and then wrote their own story and inserted the names i mean that's actually often how i feel watching movies set in the middle ages is that it kind of seems like somebody skimmed a wikipedia article when they were drunk And then the next day tried to retell the story as they remembered it. And then also somebody repeated it through a game of telephone a couple of times. What it reminds me of, since we all know that I, you know, read way too much fan fiction, is sometimes you read fan fiction where every single character is out of character. And it does have this Mm. feeling of like someone just took the names of people in a story and then sort of wrote their own story with these names, but it it doesn't have enough relationship with the actual canon material for it to be make any sense or sort of like give you any of the emotional catharsis that fan fiction does. And that's how this felt to me, the sort of that, oh, you've just sort of taken these names. These were names of some Franks at the time. These were some names of some Frisians at the time. Let's go. Yeah. And this is also a good place for the Historia at Veritas, where I talk about a real person event or phenomenon, to talk about Red Bad. So, and also, by the way, as our link with Charles Martel and all of that. So the Cinda character is a real person whose name is Theodzvind or Theudisinda is the real <laughs> name. <laughs> and she's not Red Bad's sister. She's his daughter. Yeah. And so this is something that when I was sort of looking at what like other people say about this film, because 
<laughs> I like to know what my own ideas are correct before I say them. Well, or that was one of sort of the criticisms that I heard a lot about the sort of way Red Bad was being portrayed was in terms right. of his like actual real life diplomatic relationships with the Franks. That like while there were these like periods right. of battle, he also was very much trying to be a diplomat and doing things like marrying his daughter into the Frankish royal family. And she actually might be the mother of the Udawald. <laughs> She's definitely the wife of the Udawald's father. And based on the name, Theuda Savinda Grimmawald, and then Theuda Wald, based on the name combo. Mm, it, yeah, no, that's true. Right? Yeah, yeah that that's would the suggest. Thing. Yeah. yeah. So the child that doesn't get murdered is possibly Red Bad's grandson oh that's kind of cool but there is this long history of him having had these diplomatic relationships especially because i mean so there's this interesting kind of pragmatism in some sense that with with all of these people red bad is you know he's kind of tries to at some point get Frisia sort of back from the franks and then basically kind of like looks at mike from breaking bad <laughs> aka pepin and <laughs> sort of decides basically like I think you have me beat and basically kind of gives up for a while. And that's the context in which he then makes this marriage alliance and has this diplomatic relationship with them. And it's not until Pepin dies that at that point, he's like, I mean, I don't know what things were like a mess for a little bit while they're working out the succession. And then it's like, well, I don't really know what this guy Charles can do. That's the point at which he actually took, takes the initiative and does not get quite as far as Clem, but does get as far as Cologne, which is yeah. And I mean, I think not that, bad. I don't know why. Like, I, don't, I don't know where Clem's <laughs> came from, by the way. Like, why is so much of this movie in Clem? And maybe it's like a city that people have heard of and associate with the Middle Ages. Haven't they heard of Cologne? <laughs> but that's not a city now that's associated with France. Mm, good point. So I think it's because like people hear Franks and they're like, oh, that's France. You have to be in France. <laughs> Yeah. So that's the reason for that. I don't know. Honestly, we should but probably yeah. be happy that they're not just like in Paris and what and like Red Bad like waves at the Louvre as he goes by. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put a lot of things past the people who made this movie. I, I think I think we should yeah. be lucky that that didn't happen. Yeah, no, we probably should. But yeah, I mean I think overall this is the kind of story where you're taking what was a very nuanced relationship that had periods mm -hmm. of fighting and periods of violence and also yeah. periods of like trying to establish diplomatic relationships with both sides right. trying to sort of get the best deal that they could, whether it was when they were more militarily powerful or when they thought they could negotiate. But that doesn't right. work well for a story that wants to be incredibly black and white about these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. Exactly. And I think also that's similar to the sort of way in which this doesn't represent Red Bad's actual relationship with Christianity, that that was actually right. like a quite complex relationship. There mm -hmm. were times when he was entertaining missionaries in his land, right. and there were times when he was also trying to kick out missionaries. So it wasn't and this is the context in which, and this is the context in which this line of this uh, this baptism actually happened is something that's presented at least as he allegedly is is taking the possibility of getting baptized seriously. And what in the context actually makes that speech meaningful is that it's him actually grappling with the fact that mm -hmm. if he does this and, you know, seriously accepts the idea of Christianity and heaven and hell, that means that he's not going to be with his ancestors. Says uh, yeah, that he would rather go to hell and see mm -hmm. his ancestors again than spend eternity with a bunch of paupers. Yeah, which, which is I a very funny was... representation of Christianity. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe if you only see Christianity, it's these like random wandering missionaries that you like. Or if they keep preaching the like whole bit about, you know, Jesus saying it's so hard for a rich man to get into heaven. Yeah. And you're like in your, (laughs) in your palace, you're like, "Mm." you're like this king and you're like, seems not ideal for me right now. I'm not not, not sure I'm here for that. That was such an incredibly sort of sweet story of someone who Mm -hmm. like had this rather complex relationship with religion. Yeah. And was sort of considering this new religion in his area that was sort of catching on with some people, but also was sort of the religion of someone who he was in this sort of protracted, long, sometimes battle, sometimes diplomatic negotiations with. They flatten that, and then in its place, they create out of nothing this hero's journey narrative of his exile and return, which is nothing. He's in fact already, and he's king going back to like 680. So already, yeah, yeah. The whole like, weird thing of him, like, oh, king. wait, I'm not king. That's completely invented. Yeah, he's already in charge. I mean, so there's like, a weird thing apparently where people are arguing whether king or duke is the correct term which I'm not going to personally intervene in we're yeah I mean we're applying modern terms to something where they would have had a word in Frisian and we have like Frankish accounts of this anyway exactly yeah like we're applying the Franks Right, like just we're like, using oh, like Frankish terms, is that right? I mean, like we're using like Latinate terminology. Yeah, I don't know. I I yeah. feel like I mean I'm sure maybe this is something whatever that, you know matters to people who do specifically study political relationships or relationships I'm of power sure in the are. early medieval world. But I think we can just say this is a person who is in power in Frisia. We can call him a king. <laughs> right. And the other thing that I wanted to note about Redbud is exactly this fact that he's very much not cut out of the Christian sources. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So first of all, these are actually yeah, the so sources we have about him. The sources we have, like we don't have, I mean, we don't have that many sources in general, and the ones we have, I think, are pretty much all Christian. It's actually kind uh, of phenomenal that he's been able to like become this great sort of folk hero based on how little we know about him. Right. And it's this interesting trajectory, it seems, in that, so in the, a lot of the early Christian sources, and some of them at least, he's being portrayed as this, like, archetypal, like, stubborn pagan king. Like, he's your, like, best example of this. And then he ends up kind of, like, the, he kind of gets maneuvered in these really interesting ways. So apparently he's in the Chanson de Roland. Wait, really? Yes. What? Yes. I found this whole article about like Red Bad past and present and the like rehabilitation of Red Bad and the transformation of him into a folk hero starting in about the 11th century. In the Chanson de Roland, there is a warrior who's called Rimbaud, who's called Rimbaud, which is apparently is supposed to be Red Bad. And he leads a contingent of Frisian knights to aid Charles Martel in the campaign, like in this campaign in Spain. Oh, how helpful. He and Martel could rule the world together. Exactly, right? <laughs> we just want to be friends and fight the Muslims. Oh, God. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, that was perhaps the subtext. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. I mean, maybe they should have just made a movie about that and made their message a lot more blatant. Right. But yeah, so he like, he keeps showing up basically as in this kind of weird move where they transform uh, the uh, enemies of these Frankish rulers, uh, that they kind of transform them into their allies uh, in these kind of heroic literary representations. And in that he's kind of suddenly becomes this like, fun hero. And then we start to have like Frisian families who are claiming descent from him, uh, the Frisian coat of arms is given this origin story that links it to Redbad. Then he really also takes off in Frisian nationalism starting in about the 19th century. Can we also talk about the 15th century? Yes, please tell me about the 15th century. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, I shouldn't laugh. Maybe you can tell how a part of me bursting out laughing. Okay. 
There is a 15th century Gesta Frisonum, which mm-hmm. tells this frankly amazing story about how Charles Martel and Red Bad decide who gets to rule over Frisia because they're both like, well, we can't just keep fighting because that would be fruitless. But instead, right. we're going to have a standing contest where they just stand and the first person to like bend over or like drop their hands I um, love is it. the one who loses. <laughs> and so, however, Charles Martel cheats. Charles Martel like takes Charles. off one of his gloves and drops it on the ground. And then being a polite human, Red Bad picks up his glove. And then Martel's like, ha ha, you lost. Now I get all of Frisia. Anyway, I think that is neither here nor there in regards to your well-put narrative of the changing reputation of Red Bad through the ages, but maybe does emphasize the way in which he sort of crops up in medieval yeah. stories and sort of persists as this hero, which yeah. is probably why we got today to when a director, because the director is making right. a sort of series of films, like a, one of those sort of spiritual trilogies where the films aren't really a trilogy, but they're all sort of on the same idea. And there's a spiritual trilogy yeah. of sort of the great Dutch heroes. And he chose Red mm. Bad to be one of his great Dutch heroes. I saw that and I actually found it very funny because the trilogy does not seem to be going in chronological order. <laughs> well, I mean, there are, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we might put that in the category of other things it just seemed like weird and unplanned. I read an absolutely scathing interview of someone who clearly did not like this film because I was using this to, you know, practice reading Dutch news articles. And so this guy was like (laughs) ripping into the fact that this director, though he is Dutch, he lives in America. And of course, mm-hmm. it's like, ugh, well, I mean, he's technically Dutch. And he's making these Dutch movies, but like, you know, he lives in America. And like, he's <laughs> making these movies to try to make us feel like we need sort of national heroes in the way that America thinks they need national heroes. Ooh. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah. So there was this sort of sense of like, oh, he's a, this is like an Americanized view of history of like, oh, we need to search our past and hold, raise up these national find, heroes. Find our great, find our great white men. <laughs> Yeah, find our great white men. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if we're gonna have nationalism, you need to the you need to pick you the need great more white great men. white men. Yes. I will also note Papo is one of the I believe like the next definitively mentioned Frisian king, but is not necessarily Red Bad's son. Which I think also goes back to the kinds of sources that we have about yeah. the Frisians. That it's sort of like, oh, we hate crops up in sources of, oh, this is the king that we're negotiating or duke that we're right. negotiating with, but then we don't know familial history. And I think it might right. be the same case with Aldefusel, who's maybe his father. Yes. But it's yeah, sort of like, oh, we they, know they that debate he's king whether or not that. it's his. Yeah, that there's yeah. A, there is a debate about whether or not Aldefusel is, is Red Bad's father or not. Yeah. Papa, I think actually it seemed from what I was coming across, so if somebody is better on this particular area than I am, they should feel free to let me know if they think I'm wrong. But my sense is that Papo, actually, if anything, we think is probably not his son. But do we think that Papo was in fact a baby who was in a lot of battles? I mean, that might explain why he wasn't very good at it. Yeah, it does seem um, like things did not go well under Papo's tenure. Yeah, so it's, I mean, so I'm also, yeah, because it's under Papo that Charles basically comes back into Frisia, wins a couple of decisive victories, and at one of these big battles, Papo is killed in 734. R.I.P. Papo. Yeah, I, mean, I think there is some some level of truth to the sort of final words on the screen at the end of the movie of how like oh while Red Bad was still alive like Frisia was well maybe not Frisia was free because that's sort of this weird framing of the sort of freedom of Frisia versus the tyranny under the Franks but it was sort of while Red Bad was alive, he was able to keep the Frisians going. They not were not under Frankish Frankia. rule. So at least that part of the ending text was true. Yeah. Even if most of the ending text was absolutely ridiculous. Is there anything else you want to add about Red Bad? That's really, that's really all I think I know about Red Bad. Oh, no, I think, I think that covers it. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I mostly just wanted to talk about the amazing story of standing still with your arms stretched out as a way to oh, yeah, no, that's a great plan. That's a great um, story. But I think that is the most important thing about Red Bad and the oh, thing yeah. that everyone Certainly. should be talking more about. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, one thing that, I mean, maybe they just want fewer characters, but it's St. Wolfram who does the pseudo-badism. It's not Willibrord. And that seems like that would be something that would make Apparently it Apparently it is Willibrord. I think it is Willibrord in some sources, is, I think. Is that it's oh, like, okay. is that there's some sources that say it's Willibrord? Yeah, because the, the, the Saints like, like I think the, they both the entire it. story that's actually told in, like it's the Vita yeah. Wolframni that it's actually told right. in. Right. So but I, it might be that I there are other sources that they say it's Willibrord. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly from my readings about Red Bat that I did today, because this is, you know, not my, you know, I'm Iberian. It's like, this is not my main area. Exactly. I do late medieval Iberia. But from my readings about Red Bat, it seems that there's a couple of versions from the story and that they pick different saintly W's to associate it with. Well, maybe those were the versions that the people making this movie were reading. And they weren't reading right. the Vita Wolf Promenade, which is a really fun saint's life. Also setting yeah. off people in rafts in it. More people should read. Which they probably, you know, maybe they did read that, but it, pro- I mean, it probably is that they needed to have fewer characters, right? And there's already so many characters and I don't know who any And I think also are. like Willibrord and Boniface are much more famous, like missionaries. Yeah. Like so people might guess, have yeah, heard that of they... Willibrord and Boniface in a way that yeah, like, I only know of St. Wolfram because of this specific, specific like pseudo-baptism. Yeah, it's, that's, my, that's my guess, yeah, is that they were probably like decided that Wolfram didn't do enough separately to justify him being a third character and it was easy to just kind of fold him into Willowburn. Oh, too bad. But, oh, well. I know. So we can now do the, uh, the Fabula Nostra, where we come up with a film or show inspired by this one. I'm happy to go first, which is that, so I'm going to do what I always do, which is that I take a movie, which is about men and battles, and say, that's fucking dumb. I want to do something completely different. So one of the things that I think is actually interesting that they don't really do anything with is the fact that Freya is a Christian living in this still majority polytheistic society. And so that's just what I want. I want a movie that's about the Christianization of Frisia that has somebody who is perhaps grappling with this question of the violence, but also is somebody who uh, genuinely has this religious conviction. And it's also a religious conviction that is at odds with a lot of the people around her. And I think that would be a really interesting movie. Sarah, that sounds like an amazing movie. It also sounds like a movie that would have, you know, character development and characters with inner right. worlds. And also, yeah, you know, like, that sounds like the kind of movie that could have this scene of the baptism, though I do think in the uh-huh. movie Red Bad should be a minor character, but yeah. he could be a he could be a minor character. I also think it's a fun move in movies where you have mm-hmm. like a sort of famous person as a minor character. Like what I would want to do is have her just be some like rando Frisian lady. And, yeah. she'd, and like and have she's not in love witness. with Redbad inexplicably. No, no, Redbad's like like Redbad's like the king or whatever, but like she doesn't like know him. But like she ends up like witnessing this baptism scene. And I think it's also something that she could have really complicated feelings about, that she could find some of the things about what he says interesting or compelling, but it still doesn't, you know, necessarily make her change her faith, right? But it's something, but it's again that she's kind of grappling with it's, it's kind of weird in a way also that I think it could be interesting to grapple with like. A Christian being a minority? Yeah, and I think it would also be very interesting to sort of see what, like, this missionary situation was like yeah. in a maybe more historically accurate way than these are them sort of walking in and hitting people on the head with rocks. That you have people sort right. of going in and discussing Christianity and trying to convince people. 
and what it's like right. to be one of the people who's convinced when other people weren't convinced and also maybe feel a connection with someone who's a stranger in that mm-hmm. like she might have had a connection with a missionary who she found really compelling yeah. and then also obviously you have connections with your local community that maybe then feel yeah. different and so that I think would be really movies. interesting I I think it would be a great movie with this this probably blonde woman's rich in her life <laughs> yeah yeah she, she probably would be blonde <laughs> but at least you could try to make it so she didn't look like every other woman in your movie I would try I would work hard though also I do believe that given like a lot of personality to all of these characters that might have ameliorated the issue of all the blonde women looking the same yeah I think if they had enough of a distinct personality and you actually knew mm-hmm. something about any of them other than their relationship to Red Bad. Yeah. I think that absolutely would have helped. No, totally. Okay. So I didn't like, <laughs> I didn't really do the assignment, Sarah. I did a different assignment. <laughs> I understood the assignment. I just did not do it. Fine. Instead, what I wanted to talk about, <laughs> I fear this may drastically lower the level of professionalism on your podcast. Um, it's, a, it's, it's pretty low as it is. <laughs> so as you know, I have poisoned my brain by reading a lot of fan fiction over the past decade. Mm-hmm. So I went out and tried to find fan fiction based on this movie. And I regret <laughs> to inform you and all of our listeners that I couldn't find any, which is, oh, I mean, understandable Christ. because it wasn't a very good movie and probably no one watched it. Because I think you have to like enjoy an experience of fiction to be like, I would like to write fan yeah. fiction about it. However, I consider myself an expert on fan fiction tropes. And so I would like to say, based on this movie, there is a really obvious choice of what the fan Uh fiction would be based on this movie. I think I have a guess about that. (laughs) And it is almost entirely based on the scene where Charles Martel looks at Red Bad in the heat Uh of battle and says, we could have ruled the world together. This material is, I think, really fertile ground for what is called an enemies to lovers romance. Absolutely. And I think it could have been done really well in the hands of the right fan fiction author. So that is what I was imagining. Um, the thing that could be inspired by this work was not a movie, but a piece of fan fiction where we get to find out what it's like for Martell and Redbad to rule the world together. I think that sounds great. I'm going to take it one step further and say, I think that should be a movie. These are original characters. They're historical figures. Why, why not have a make a movie about a... the power in their relationship mm-hmm. if because if they're going to rule the world together is, like what does that really yeah. mean like is one of them sort of ruling as a regent under the other or are they actually right. like, co-rulers also what does Pepin have to say about all of this it's a good question there's just a lot good to question. work with here I think that would be great and I think that should be a movie <laughs> well I mean I assume that along with your podcast you just have like funding to make movies so yes Yes, I do. We make it happen. We'll make both the movies. It'll be great. I assume there are very big deal producers that are listening to this and that I'm just waiting oh, any day now to get the call. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I assume as soon as you put this online, people will be like, yeah. they should be making movies. They'll be calling. They'll be calling. Yeah. I mean, it must have cost a huge amount of money to make this movie, right? Oh, yes. Like, so that, I don't know. I almost felt like this is going to sound too mean. I don't want to be... <laughs>
Or sorry, oh, the estimatio. The estimatio. I wasn't giving a number between one and five section. or whatever. I was just telling you that you tried and you did a bad job. But I think that is a good lead into our estimatio okay, or our reading from one to five of this movie. So, what does he try to do a bad job numerically translating to? Okay, so I would say. This movie earns one entire point for the pig. I was a big okay. fan of the pigs. And I think it earns one entire other point for the use of language, because I okay. thought that was cool. But then I think it earns zero more points. And then it, in fact, loses a point because of the convoluted plot, giving it a total of one out of five. Because I don't want to be watching a movie and be questioning, am I too stupid to follow this plot? Right? How did I convince people to give me a job teaching history when I cannot follow the plot of this movie? So that was not an experience I enjoyed. I'm also going to give it a one out of five. It gets a low rating due to the fact that it may or may not be white supremacist propaganda. That's that's certainly, uh, yeah, that's a good reason to take off points. The historical choices are ludicrous. And in many cases, I think are not as interesting, again, uh, that it's not as interesting necessarily as what actually happened. I think that the rape scene yeah, I is think what extremely actually happened irresponsible. It's a very like, interesting, nuanced story that absolutely more interesting, like in your version of this movie. <laughs> exactly, like in my version yeah. of this movie. Uh, you know, I think the rape scene is extremely irresponsible and the portrayals of women are poor, especially because it's also like the, like, we have them fighting, but they don't like do anything or have personality. So it just seems like this like half-ass, yeah. like, look, we had gender quality but also we do not give a shit about women yeah that was something that I was definitely thinking while watching this movie that it seems like there was an attempt made by someone who didn't really know what it means to actually have female characters in your movie and sort of Mm -hmm. had this idea in their head of like oh I'm putting some women in pants and having them fight look I'm such a feminist right but the women are not developed nor do they meaningfully contribute no. to the plot except yeah. insofar as they like get red bad to be cool to like to it they get red bad to accept his inner greatness yeah and there, and there are so many conversations between women and red bad that are totally about red bad's issues or really his one yeah. issue of whether he's gonna like take up the mantle of his father and de- right. defend the traditions of the frisians they must have thoughts about their You'd own think. lives we don't know anything about them but but you would think they had them you think yeah, probably <laughs> i mean i don't know are women kind of just like automaton robots they might be maybe yeah and they just sort of respond to what men say to yeah them, but don't have any inner thoughts <laughs> That is what this movie led me to believe. Yeah, pretty much. Yep, so I'm I'm gonna also go with a one out of five. Okay, the other thing also, like, this movie, this movie could have been one hour shorter. Oh, and yeah. it would have been better I mean, I it. thought you were about to say this movie could have been one hour long. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I there, mean, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, not quite. Pro- uh, well, I don't know, actually. I think you probably could have had basically a TV episode. I think, I, I think you could have had a TV episode that was, like, basically got across the point. But if it was going to be a movie, I think you could have done this in approximately 90 minutes. Yeah. Certainly under yeah. two hours. Yeah, and it also was the kind of movie where you could definitely feel how long it was taking. Because I think there are some movies that are quite long, but because it has a very tight plot structure and because you're yeah. like actively gripped by the emotional narratives of the sto- of the characters, mm-hmm. you're kind of fine with it because your, your yeah. attention is being taken up right. the whole time. And this was a movie where I definitely checked the time. I checked the time a lot. I took a lot of breaks, actually. Like I got up multiple times I mean, and I was like- That probably helped. 
maybe I should like get some maybe I should get some food uh you know I'm like I'm trying to do something um, else like I'd be like watching the movie and I'd be like I wonder if I could do something else while I'm watching this I also tried that but especially because I do not speak any Dutch I quickly realized that I absolutely could not do that because I mean because like I can't read the subtitles and pay attention to that and do Mm -hmm. other things at the same time that was really what the struggle was yeah I will say that was another one of the you know very minor things like about the movie I like that they had simple dialogue in Dutch yeah (laughs) that's helpful for you know the the Dutch language learners among us I'm glad that it was helpful in that regard but as somebody who speaks zero Dutch for like uh, recommending this movie for the sole reason that it was about Red Bad and was in partially in Dutch and I was like that sounds like fun let's watch that and then I mean I've watched worse. Okay, well, that's reassuring. Our mutual friend, Catherine Hindley, might never forgive me for making her watch and discuss the 2007 Beowulf. That's true. I mean, that did seem like quite a scarring experience. I mean, at least there were no, you know, genitalia in this movie. Exactly. No genitalia, no, like, weird representations of genitalia. I think, I think that's, I think that's something to be said in its favor. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that we found something to say in favor of this movie. Right. There we go. <laughs> One out of five, not too much genitalia. <laughs> Raves, <laughs> Sarah Ray. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, I should definitely do movie reviews, like, professionally. <laughs> I'd be great at it, clearly. Well, speaking of things that we do professionally, are there places that the listeners could find you on the internet if they so desired in a professional or personal <laughs> capacity? Well, I'm not a very professional person. Just kidding. No, I'm on Twitter. I am at pardon underscore MI. So it's like pardon me, but with MI since my first name is Mireille. So yeah, I never got that. Yeah. <laughs> People got there. It was just it's your name. Reaction a lot recently where I explained it to someone and they're like, what? So I I mean I think the lesson here is I should have come up with a cleverer Twitter handle. Also, that same handle is also what I am on TikTok, where I make videos, funny videos making fun of academia and some historical videos trying to educate people. I wanted to create I'm sorry, this is not helpful for your podcast. <laughs> I'm just like talking to you, Sarah, but I wanted to create an unprofessional TikTok. And that I wanted to like talk about my hobbies or things that I enjoyed or do funny dances. But then I kept seeing people post things on TikTok about medieval history that were wrong. So then all of a sudden I'm creating like this professional medieval history TikTok because people are just saying not even complex things wrong, just very simple things wrong. So it's like, well, I got it. Someone needs to step in here. And now I've created this professional-ish TikTok and it's gotten like a non-negligible amount of traction, which is a lot of pressure. Anyway, I'm feeling a lot of pressure for my TikTok presence right now which I'm now ranting to your podcast about exactly well now you can get more TikTok followers yeah no please come follow me on TikTok it's a lot of making fun of myself and you may learn something about medieval history I have talked about Red Bat on my podcast uh, not my podcast talked about Red Bat on my TikTok before you're the one person I follow on TikTok because I do not understand TikTok and most of my TikTok watching is people just sending me TikToks wait actually I didn't even know you followed me on TikTok this is the weird thing about TikTok I don't know who follows me and then people in my everyday life mention something I did on TikTok and it concerns me (laughs) so yeah I'm glad I didn't know you followed me. I don't know. I did not know that, but I do like having more followers because it feeds my ego. Yeah. I also like followers to feed my ego. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod. 
please really feed my ego by giving the podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and I will read new five-star reviews in future episodes. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah If Decker. And if you have any questions or suggestions, I would love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Right, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I would like to apologize to any actual people from the Netherlands if I mischaracterize your current politics right now or pronounce words wrong. I can Netherlands sprechen, maar niet zo goed. And I declaim all deep knowledge of the Dutch language or its <laughs> politics. So I'm sure this was just great and all your Dutch listeners, (laughs) who I assume they're just tons of Dutch listeners of this podcast. I might have some Dutch listeners. I don't know. Dutch listeners, please get in touch. Let me know what you think. Yeah, please tell me all the words that Mireille pronounced wrong. (laughs) How do you say goodbye in Dutch? Tot ziens. Tot ziens. Yeah, or it's still like, until the next time I see you, which is good because, you know, the next time they see you on the podcast. Tot ziens. Yes. So tot ziens. And thank you for listening to Media Evil.